Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Iwakime Axon. So this is it. This is the season finale you're listening to right now. The Big Five-O. I think we should uh, just start by talking about this thing that, I've, that everyone's talking about. The sort of scandal that's roiling through Euro-American relations. And if you've been living under a rock, let me restate this for you. Joe Biden was inaugurated to be the new president on January 21st, and it has since been revealed that he stole some music from Finland. And uh, the Finnish government is involved, and they're investigating it, and uh, Joe Biden might be a criminal in Finland. So I I think we should zoom in on this and... and you know, let's really che- check it out for ourselves. So here's, I'm going to first play you a piece of music called Finlandia, um, composed by a Finnish composer named uh, Sibelius. So uh, let's just listen to 10 seconds of this. Are you ready? <laughs> It's, it's not their national anthem, but it's a sort of um, national tone poem. It's um, something that they are very proud of, the good people of Finland, you know? So now I'm going to play you what happened during Joe Biden's inauguration. This is when everyone is walking in. Listen to this. like there's this little exactly the same bro i think uh it's pretty obvious to everyone what that means it means that joe biden is not the legitimate president of the united states it means that he's a stooge he's controlled by the communist party in china china joe is what they call him chinese joe um yeah so maybe we should just go to a water. This episode, we're not doing a flight as much as we're just doing ones that didn't fit into anything. First one here, Pickle Rick, Miracle Seltzer. This is a tie-in product from Rick and Morty. There's an episode of Rick and Morty where Rick turns into a pickle, and people really like this episode. Now, I like Rick and Morty as much as the next guy, but I don't get that episode so much maybe. But, you know, I think there's Rick and Morty is one of those really... You can um, like it for a lot of different reasons. It's very fast. There's a lot of different types of jokes, kind of like thrown in a big mix. And two different people can laugh at very different things in it. And I think it's very easy to get annoyed with the fan base. But I think it's important not to get hung up on that. You know? Some good things have an annoying fan base, and we shouldn't let an annoying fan base... um, ruin it for everyone so this is pickle juice and sparkling water you know because why not and you know it yeah 
it came with this a little bit of paperwork and the paperwork says that this is the only beverage scientifically proven to help with muscle cramps it's like well, how how are they allowed to lie in america like why would pickle juice be the only beverage that's scientifically proven to help with muscle cramps it makes no sense it's just like salt and potassium but anyway i'm gonna open it now oh my god that's an that's that kind of pickle juice with like some sugar in it is what that smells like wow zero calories i must not be man that's got some that's got a crunchy smell like you just you smell and you just feel like you're crunching down on some pickles i mean this smells very good i will say that i like pickles all right let's try it wow that's not that bad you think it's going to be gross, but that's not that bad. I do want to thank these people over at Miracle Seltzer who sent me these because I heard that they existed and then I was a little bit lazy and I didn't buy any and I didn't ask for any and then they sold out and then I emailed them after they were sold out and I was like, could you spare, could you find a box? Could you check in the back, you know, see if you have one more box for the pod? And they were like, bro, we got you. And they sent me a 12-pack. It's very good. There's this other thing about Rick and Morty where they they um, were trying to get McDonald's to bring back a, this specific sauce that you, came with nuggets, like in the 90s. Like it was like a Mulan for the Mulan movie in the 90s. It was like a tie-in product. Like a sort of spicy Sichuan Chinese-style dipping sauce. And there's a whole episode about how he likes that and he wants to try it. And the fact that this sparkling water isn't just a gimmick, that it's actually very good, is making me feel like I would love to try that dipping sauce. Yeah, I don't know what to say about this. There's nothing surprising about it. It tastes exactly like pickle juice mixed with sparkling water. The surprising thing is just the overall thing that it actually works. I don't know. Let's do one more water and then we'll go on to some other stuff, you know? So this is also a weird one. Calamansi. Calamansi sparkling water. This is from Sanso. Now, Sanso has its whole other story of how I got these cans, but I've already told that story of how I kind of made enemies with this guy. I, I told him I was going to cancel his company if he didn't send, send me some free samples. And then um, he took it very seriously and he, didn't, he, he uh, sent me some samples. I, and I have Googled this before, but I can't remember. What is a calamansi? Okay. It's a type of citrus fruit. It's green on the outside. It's orange on the inside. It's a sort of medium-sized. It's from Borneo, Southeast Asia. Calamansi. Let's see what this tastes like. This is the first Asian-style sparkling water. That's what these, um, this brand is all about. You know, I didn't, I didn't score the pickle rick. Um, that's a 9 out of 10, you know, because I'm feeling charitable. Season finale, episode 50. Calamansi from Sanso. Okay. It's a citrus fruit. It's got a very, like, not acidic smelling sort of citrus. It's more like in the sort of herbaceous, like lime leaf, that kind of family of flavors. 
Yeah, it's pretty weird. It's pretty different, actually. I mean, I guess it's pretty close to uh, maybe a clementine or something like that, but like a very green, not yet ripe clementine, like in that direction where there's some weird bitterness to it because it's not ripe yet, but still actually pretty good somehow. Not great. I'm feeling charitable, but yeah, I mean, calamansi might be Filipino for unripe citrus. Um, I'm going to give that a 7 out of 10. I'm going to give that a 7 out of 10. And with that, all right, let's go on to something else. So here is something I was thinking about. Um, I'm just going to start chronologically. A week or two ago, I was driving with my girlfriend. I'm learning how to drive a car, okay? I was driving, and I told her that I was going to practice driving with Marissa, that I used to live with. Friend of the pod, as they say. And uh, and um, so as I tell her this, she like gets a little bit mad because it's like, she feels like that's not COVID safe because it's her and me and it's Mirza and me in an enclosed space, you know? And then my girlfriend has this thing that she says where she says that why don't, I, I'm not thinking about her. Like I'm not taking her into account because when there's COVID and we have this relationship and the relationship includes a sort of social contract of considering each other's levels of comfort vis-a-vis COVID, right? So she's a little bit more careful about COVID than I am. She has asthma. She feels like if she got COVID, she could die. Like, you know, not surely, but like maybe, you know, and people don't want to maybe die. So, so, and that's something I respect and therefore I make concessions and do things differently. And then we have an argument about it, and I'm like, look, I just didn't, like, think about it like that. And and she's like, well, you never, you don't think about me. And then I came up with this, like, thing that was, like, the perfect logical way to win the argument, which is that I said that, well, I take all these Ubers, you know, and the Ubers are the same thing. It's me in an enclosed space with another person, and it's not perfect, but the world is not perfect, and it's like, that's something I'm doing, and the reason I want to get in the car with Marissa is because I want to get a driver's license so I don't have to take those Ubers, which is actually safer. So in a way, taking Ubers with Marissa is actually safer. It's actually like the path where I am thinking about you, where I am thinking about COVID, and where I'm trying to build this path of not taking any Ubers at all anymore. Because like, an Uber driver is arguably, like it's just a wild card, you know? You don't know about that guy. I mean, he's wearing a mask. They all wear masks. But with Marissa, I know what her deal is. And I know that she's very careful and that she takes it seriously and that she meets very few people and that, you know, the mask use and the social distancing and everything. So when I say that, I win the argument. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So funny. Because then it's like, oh, yeah, that's true. So then I'm like, so when I'm suggesting that I'm going to go practice driving with Marissa in Marissa's car, I'm actually 
being considerate of you. So I win the argument. And then two weeks later, we have this other thing happen where it's like, Marissa is now six, so we're going over to Marissa's house to drop off some stuff, and it's actually like my girlfriend bought the stuff for Marissa, like some soup. And because we were trying to be efficient, so we had this thing where she went to Whole Foods and, and bought food, groceries, and a couple of things for Marissa, and I cleaned the apartment. So it's not like I'm being a lazy piece of shit here, like I did something. I cleaned her whole apartment. Her whole apartment. I spent 20 minutes, like, wiping down all the surfaces and putting everything in the dishwasher and like you know I spent 25 minutes cleaning anyway so we're going to Marissa's house and when we're pulling up at Marissa's house I'm like okay so just just wait in the car and uh, Marissa's house is in here and stuff and then she was acting a little bit weird like my girlfriend was acting a little bit weird and I didn't really figure out why and then I go in and I just put the stuff by Marissa's door and I call Marissa and she comes down and she grabs it and it's like you know, we're like far away from each other. It turns out that Marissa doesn't have COVID. I think it's an important thing to mention here in this story because she did get a fever and she was sick. So she got COVID tested and she was pretty sure she had it, but she didn't. She just works too hard and doesn't sleep enough and is pushing herself way too hard. Okay. So I dropped, so she's sick and I drop off some soup and some cookies and some different things at her house, right? And um, then when I get back to the car, my girlfriend is like pissed. And then she's like, well, I wanted to meet her. And then she's like, well, you never think about me. And she does that same leap where it's like, she says that thing where it's like, just because I, because honestly, I, I just didn't think that that was something that seemed fun. Like, meeting when you're when she when Marissa's sick it's like not fun to meet someone and when there's COVID we're on masks and we're far away from each other like it's just not very fun so I didn't think of that as something that's fun to make a thing out of and then when we're arguing about this I have this like super negative destructive like argue mind this really litigious like lawyer mind so I then like bring up how she said that same line of me not thinking about her enough. She said that two weeks earlier, but then it was the other way around when it was like, there's COVID. And that time it was like, I wasn't thinking enough that people should stay apart. And then this time I'm not thinking enough that people should get together. And I'm trying to turn it into this like argument where they're, where I'm making some sort of really tight logical case about, um, you know, I just such an arguey thing where it's like in reality you should just like apologize. But, um, but then we sort of got back onto talking about that thing from two weeks ago. And then she was annoyed with me again about the thing two weeks ago about saying I was going to practice driving with Marissa. So then I had to like re-remember the fight we had two weeks ago. And I had to re-remember what my argument was because I didn't really remember my argument. So she was winning when we were rehaving the fight from two weeks ago. I don't want to call it a fight. It's, it's funny because <clears throat> I'm making this sound now like I'm in another shitty relationship. <laughs> but I'm really not. And I honestly think this might be the two closest things to an argument we've ever had, like where it's like a little bit negative. And that's it. Other than that, it's 
other than that, the things that happen that are problematic in the relationship are just me being an asshole and then her getting upset and calling me out on it and me apologizing. And I'm really good at that now. <laughs> I'm really good at not doubling down. And it turns out that for me, as a partner, as a boyfriend or whatever, as a husband, I think my main thing is learning to not double down. Because I was fucking probably wrong, you know? I was probably wrong. And if I get accused of something, being defensive and doubling down is just going to make it worse. But that's a little bit of a sidebar because what I was really thinking about that I think is so interesting is this concept of how having to re-remember a fight. No, not re-remember. Having to remember a fight. I don't know, why do I say re-remember? That makes no sense. Having to remember an old fight and having to remember your old argument, which was your winning argument. Because that's what I had to do today because I had to, I had to remember and bring back my argument, which was foolproof from two weeks ago about the Ubers and everything and how actually sitting in that car with Marissa is the thing I'm doing because I am thinking about you and in reality I'm just arguing because I, I wasn't thinking about her I was just thinking that I have this thing I'm trying to do I'm trying to get a driver's license you know I'm trying to fucking live my life here and I wasn't thinking about her because I can't be thinking about her at all times and it's like you know, yeah, COVID is just hard, you know, and COVID is just, COVID and trying to get something going while also trying to be considerate of not spreading the global pandy. It's hard, man. It's hard to get anything going. So most of the time we err on the side of not getting anything going. And that's that, you know. But um, it just really brought me back because especially with the old ex-wife, it's, um, there was just, it was just one big doubling down, the whole thing, you know, and there was so much, so many old fights that we both would feel that the other person was wrong, so we both held a grudge vis-a-vis -vis in relation to whatever each individual grudge is and then when the grudge is brought up you you get like peppered with all of their ideas and and thoughts about why you're shitty in that instance that the grudge is about and then you have to like bring back in your mind yeah it's so important not to forget is what I'm saying. Like, because it's a negative thing. Like, a fight is a negative thing and you don't want to remember it. But if you forget it, then when it gets brought back up, now you're going to re-lose the fight. Or maybe you won the fight the first time around and if you forget why you won it, they're going to bring it back up and then you won't remember your winning argument. So now you're losing the fight this time. And somewhere in your mind, you know that you weren't supposed to lose this fight because first time around you won this fight. And it's like, all of those feelings are so bad. <laughs> all of those feelings are so bad because you want to be like Jesus. I don't know if this is actually Jesus, but someone paraphrased Jesus to me once about forgiving and said that like Jesus' way of forgiving was to forget, to actually forget. 
And it was, I really don't remember this, and I'm, I mean, this is like the biggest paraphrase of the biggest paraphrase that I'm saying here, but there's some story in the Bible where someone did something wrong, and then Jesus truly forgives them. So then later on, they refer to that thing, and Jesus is like, what? I don't remember what you're talking about. And that's the goal. All of those negative things, truly letting go of them. <laughs> but it's a, it's a little bit of a two-way street. I mean, it takes a lot of maturity. It helps if it's a two-way street. But, um, yeah, I think um, right now I'm going for that Jesus thing. Man, I am so thirsty right now. What if this was a water review podcast? But we're not going to review water just yet. I, um, I was there something else I was thinking about that? No, I don't think so. So I went to Washington, D.C. I mentioned that last episode, what happened is that my passport is expiring in April of 2021. In the beginning of the pandemic, that seemed very far away. And then it got closer and closer and the pandemic kept not ending and my password is expiring and I have to renew it. Otherwise I turn into an illegal immigrant and um, the normal way of renewing it is that I can do it at the consulates, but they no longer offer that service because the person doing that thing doesn't travel around anymore because of COVID. So because of COVID, I had to travel more. And because of COVID, I had to either go to Sweden, I can renew it in Sweden, or go to Washington, the Swedish embassy in Washington, or go to New York, the general consulate. Is that what it's called? Yeah. There's like a, that's the rank. There's small consulates, there's the general consulate, there's the embassy. And uh, so I went to Washington, D.C. I don't know why. Could have gone to New York. I mean, I wanted to go to Sweden and see my sister, but but I just couldn't get it going. There's like no way f for me to fly to Sweden. It was just like the most insane thing. I couldn't land in Denmark. I would have to take like four connecting flights. It would have had to been a 60-hour flight, like going to the smallest little African village. So I couldn't, I couldn't get it going. And also I felt like I'm, I'm about to give my mom fucking COVID if I fly in on six flights. It's like, it's just not going to be good. I couldn't do it. So I'm like, all right, I'll just go to D.C. for a few days. And I think I picked D.C. over New York because of the inauguration and all the fun stuff going on. Because as we all know, I've been obsessed with the QAnon stuff. And the QAnon stuff is... Focusing more and more on D.C. and focusing more and more on how, how they, they have this thing they keep repeating that D.C. isn't part of America. It's like its own territory. And London, like some sort of London proper, isn't part of the U.K. And the Vatican isn't part of Italy. Like they have this idea that those three things aren't part of the countries in some sort of strictly legal thing. And then they say that that's how the new world order is going to be rolled out by taking this trifecta of these city-states that aren't connected to any countries. And that's where the satanic pedophiles will have their headquarters. And America is a corporation 
as of 1887, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole new thing, right? But so it's really focused on D.C. So I, um, I was like, let's go to D.C., you know? Let's take a look at it. If I have to go somewhere, I mean, of course I want to go to New York, but, but um, honestly, in New York also, like, <laughs> might be the hardest hit in terms of COVID in the whole country. So, so um, yeah, so I'm going to D.C. First of all, I almost missed my flight. It was like a 7 a.m. flight. No, it was an 8 a.m. flight. I show up an hour early. I check in. I do everything good. And then I go to security, and they have stopped offering general screening at the security checkpoint that I always go to at SeaTac. So now they only offer all these different, like there's TSA pre-approved, there's something called clear, there's some other one. It's all these different ones where you're like a fancy person and you pay some money and you have like a, I don't know how you get them, honestly. I think, I know a lot of people who have gotten them, so I think normal people can get them. I think you just let them do a really big background check on you one time and then they kind of give you better status but but for me I've just like never really gotten in, and also I mean I'm from Sweden I don't know that I could ever get that probably I would have to be a citizen first but but um annoying it's annoying they wouldn't let me through there was no way so I had to walk all the way through this terminal to get to this other spot where all the people who now feel like lower grade citizens. We feel like we're members of the low end population. Ah, that's what they say in China. That's how they translate that term in China. Low end population. Anyway, um, so I'm getting through security and I'm loving, I mentioned this in the last episode, I bought like a new backpack and a new, a new nice fossil brand purse and they're just so perfect for traveling and all the compartments are perfect and all the zipper, like, because my old backpack, things were starting to break. And there was like a little hole there and the zipper was starting to break. And it's like just every, it's like all black and all perfect and all the compartments are perfect and all my things fit perfectly. So I get through security and then I go and buy a bottle of water and then it's 7 a.m. So I'm like, I have to get a coffee. So I go to Starbucks and I order a cup of coffee and they're real slow. And then I look at the time and I'm like, dude, I'm about to miss this flight. <laughs> so I'm like sweating bullets waiting for them to fucking give me my coffee. And then they give me my coffee and I'm running to the train. And then they've changed the trains. So that this normal train that like, oh, normally at SeaTac, it's um, a train that goes around and hits all the terminals so you just get on the term the train anywhere and then you get off wherever you need to get off and now the trains just go from a to b and one other train goes from c to d and it's like you have to find the right train so i'm running and i, I and i mean they were closing the gate that was the i was going to say that's the closest i've been to missing a flight in a long time but i did miss multiple flights recently actually <laughs> oh i missed two flights in the last uh, two months so uh, never mind but um, so i arrive in dulles airport in dc and first of all kind of a shitty airport like really low ceilings 
really dirty and really gray. And it doesn't help that it's like the most overcast city ever. It's just like really cold and windy and overcast. And then I don't, I arrive early in the morning and I don't have anything to do that day. All I had was I had to be at the Swedish embassy the next day. So I'm like, let's do public transportation because it's like 50 bucks to take an Uber. Let's just not take an Uber. Let's, there's a bus. Let's just take the bus. I don't have, I'm not in a rush. You know, my Airbnb is waiting for me. So I'm I'm walking and I'm putting it in the Google Map Maps app and and it's telling me to walk and I'm and it's it, it suddenly I'm walking on the side of the highway. I mean there's no other way to say it. Google Maps thought that there was a way to walk there between the airport and this far away parking garage where there's supposed to be a bus. I don't even know if there is a bus in that parking garage because I'm walking on the side of this highway and I just like there's nothing more I don't never feel more unwelcome than when I misjudge the walkability of something because I just cannot get out of the mindset that everything is walkable for some reason. There's something about being a Swede and living in China and everything that like I just believe that you can always walk. And you definitely can't. And I'm walking on the side of this highway and after a while I just have to like, it's like mega cold. It's like one degree above freezing and it's super humid and super windy. (laughs) It was so cold. And I'm just like this fucking garden gnome, just like this giant garden gnome walking on the side of this weird seven lane highway. And, um, I just had to turn back and I turn back and I go back to the airport and I'm kind of like walking back and forth and I'm thinking about asking someone. I'm thinking about giving up and just taking an Uber, but I'm thinking about asking someone like, hey, but it's just such a shameful thing. Like everything about it in America is shameful because you're just supposed to drive. You're supposed to drive and someone's supposed to pick you up or you're supposed to take a taxi or you're supposed to rent a car. It's like car. And everything else is shameful. And if you go up to someone and ask, like, hey, where's the bus to the city? Like, where's the, if I want to take a bus to D.C., like, where's that? It's so shameful. So I was ashamed to do it. But then I, um, I'm just wandering, dude. I'm wandering. And I just kind of see this little counter. And, you know, a counter is maybe somewhere where you can ask, you know? The person behind the counter works there, you know? So maybe they know. And there's a bunch of people behind the counter. And there are no other, you know, travelers, no other civilians around. So I walk up to this counter. And there's this nice black lady behind the counter. And I'm like, hey, excuse me, little question. Could I take the bus somewhere? Now, I didn't, that's, that was like, I didn't say it rude. I said it polite. I don't know why I, now when I'm restating it, I'm saying it as if I said it rude. I was being really nice. I was asking how she was doing and I was asking if I could take the bus into town. And suddenly this, this world just opened up for me. And she's like, yeah, it's right here. The ticket is $5. And I look around and I'm like, the counter is like the bus counter. And I'm like, so where does the bus depart from? And she's like, it departs from right here. And she points and it's, I'm literally like, four meters away from the bus. The bus is right there. And then I'm like, oh, do you know when it departs? 
And this guy, this like nice elderly black man comes from around the counter and he's like, I'll take you right now. So I pay $5. She gives me a little uh, like super flimsy piece of paper that no one even, he doesn't even look at. And I get on this bus and I, um, and he drives me, there's no one else on the bus and he just takes me right away and it's far. He takes me to the metro station in D.C., and it's like a 35-minute drive, and, he, and there's no one else on the bus. Like, the economic model here is very questionable, but but the thing really reminded me of China, because <laughs> in China, you're always, like, at a train station. You're always, like, in a new city at an airport or something, and it's a little bit janky, and you don't know what's going on, but you're you, you just sort of start asking people. And there's always a bunch of people behind the counter. And it's always like kind of open to interpretation what people's jobs are. And there's like a couple of types of vehicles available. And people aren't really assigned to who's driving what vehicle. And it's kind of fluid. And you can kind of be like, hey, so I got seven buddies over here. And we got about 80 quai. And we want to go to this city over here. Like, can we get something going? And then they like start haggling amongst themselves in some dialect. And then they sort of get come at you with a deal and they're like, yeah, it's gonna be 4,000 quai. And then you have to be like, no. So we're not that kind of foreigners. We're the kind of foreigners that come at you with a counter offer. And then you come at them with a the counter offer. And then they're like, okay, so not 4,000 quai, let's make it 90 quai. And it's like, okay, you got yourself a deal, sir. And, um, Man, I love that in China, how they can start, they start with the most astronomical number ever. Because maybe you don't know, you know? Maybe in your country, the equivalent of like $700 is what you pay someone to get you somewhere, you know? Maybe. And, you know, I saw some things in D.C., like, I walked past one fancy restaurant, and, and um, this is a sidebar. Now I'm doing it unchronologically and I'm not gonna, but sidebar is that I walked past a fancy restaurant and there was a valet stand and the valet stand said $17. And that just struck me as so fucking expensive. <laughs> but when you think about it, it makes sense because it's a human being. It's not just a parking spot. It's a human being taking your keys and parking the car for you. So I guess it has to be expensive. Maybe that's not even expensive, you know? Maybe in some places it's $50 to valet park your car. but And then I'm sure you have to tip the person on top of the fee or whatever. But but anyway, you know, in China, sometimes maybe they think you're one of those guys who... Maybe they think you're the kind of person who valet parks your car. So, in a very Chinese way, some nice guy just drove me from Dulles Airport into the city to a metro stop and then I get off and it like it's so hard to judge when you're in a new city America I haven't figured out how to judge it because like DC is a city you you know that there's some areas that are really sketchy where it's like dangerous and then like I don't know if the subway is where you get robbed like I don't know I just kind of go for it I don't worry about it too much but I'm kind of looking at this city and I'm looking at the people and it's like struggling to figure out what the vibe is. And then I'm walking around and I'm kind of feeling like this isn't a very good neighborhood. And then I realized that I'm in the, that there are high rises everywhere, that I'm standing at the foot of a high rise and that that high rise is the DC office of Google. So it's like, 
how ghetto can it be if it's if that's where Google put their office? I don't know. But so um, I take the subway and it's a completely empty subway car. And again, it's like, I mean, you feel a little bit safer as there's other people, but and I just kind of went for it and then I had to change and, and they were, um, it, it was nice. Um, the thing about it though, I get off the subway and I'm like, I check it on the map and it's a 20 minute walk. My Airbnb is a 20 minute walk from the subway and I have nothing going on. So I'm like, let's just walk to 20 minutes. And the thing about it is that one of the first things that struck me about DC is that it smells bad, really bad, like really, really bad. Because the thing about cities and smell is it has to be seasonally adjusted because any smell is going to be subdued in winter because it's just, you know, smells don't really travel in the cold weather. And then when summer hits and when the heat waves hit, whatever smell you're dealing with is going to be so much worse. And this was like in the dead of winter, the temperature is right around freezing. I'm wearing an, not a just a regular cloth mask, not a surgical mask, not a normal hospital setting mask. I'm wearing the, I just shelled out 70 bucks on N95 masks. So I'm wearing an N95 mask, super tightly fitted around my face. Like this thing is so tight around my face and it's, it's uh, filtering out 95% of the particles. But then you walk around in the city and wafts of smell hit you like, and I don't know, I, ne- I don't know that I've ever smelled bad smells in America so much in big cities. People talk about it, like Carl, who used to live in Chicago, who now lives in Berlin, he would always talk about how bad Chicago smelled and how like you get on the L train and, and like some person is taking a poop on a seat. <laughs> Like, he would always tell me horror stories from the L. And then, you know, I visited him in Chicago a couple of times, and we took the L, and it was always fine. So, Carl has a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. You know, let's be honest. If you ask Matt about Carl, Matt thinks that Carl has a little bit of a dramatic streak. And... I just felt like maybe these people who talk about how smelly America is, maybe they're just being dramatic. But I don't really know because maybe people talk about New York as the smelliest city and like the subway in New York as the smelliest place. Maybe that's one of the tropes floating around in the American consciousness. But but so I'm in D.C. and these smells hit me and for the first time I'm like, this is incredible. Like these were so sharp. Like... um like um what is that called the far the 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 big pool where they gather all the manure in a farm it reminded me of that where you get so much cow manure just like a mis mixture of the um the urine and the fecal matter of the cows like just you have thousands of cows and you take all of their urine and all of their manure and you mix it together in this like enormous pool. And I don't, honestly, I don't even really know what they do with that, but I'm sure they do some chemical process with it. I'm sure they do something fun with it. But in Sweden, sometimes you come upon one of those when you're on a farm and it's like this really other world. It's like an unnaturally strong smell because like you can be like, you can come across like cow poop or like come across smells of pee 
and that's one thing. But when you do this like unnatural thing that you gather 10,000 instances of pee in a big pool, it get and then you let it sit and like ferment and and develop like these like strange chlorine like super extreme sharp chemicals it's next level and the smells that hit me in dc at weird times too i was like walking down the street and a smell hits me and i'm look, looking around like is there any is there even anything here like what i don't see any trash i don't see any homeless people and then i realized that like yeah there's like a homeless person like all the way over there and it's like, is his smell like wafting? And then you walk and it's like, you get another smell. And you, it's like a tent. There's some homeless person's tent right next to you. And it's like, the smells were totally next level. Totally next level. And yeah, there was a lot of homeless people. The homelessness crisis in America has morphed recently. I hear different people talk about this in different places and like supposedly in LA it's changed and it's gotten worse. Here in Seattle it has changed a lot because there is this new atmosphere of that we're making an exception for this period. I think that's the mood. I think that's what people are thinking. So like in Ballard where I used to live there's the library I used to go to, the Ballard branch of the excuse me, of the Seattle Public Library, um, Kitty Corner from the library, there's a park and there's a little skate park area and there's a little green area and there's like some benches. It's a very nice, modern looking, nice, clean, neat park. And sometimes in the far off dark corner, you would see a homeless guy. That's what it used to be like. And then now with COVID, there's like 45 tents in this park of people living there, living there for a long time. And it's interesting, man. I mean, it's interesting because it's like there are properties of people living on the first floor across the street from that park. And it's like the world's smallest little street. You're literally living, you know, 10 meters from these tents. And you paid a lot of money for this property. I think a lot of those are little condos that people own. And it's interesting, man. It's interesting because it's like you pay all that money and you live on the first floor and you have these big windows. I, all those units right there, are they're so nice. And they have these big windows and they're on the first floor and they're overlooking this, this street where it's always like, yeah, people can look in when they walk past. But now you have this new thing where there's like a favela South American style tent city of homeless people living 10 meters from your house and it's I don't know man I mean it's a problem like I mean I'm saying this as if I'm only seeing it from the perspective of the homeowner which is so aspirational because it's like <laughs> I am so much closer to being homeless than being a homeowner but um no, I mean, I also see it from, I mean, it's just bad. It's just bad because, yeah, I mean, I guess the economy fell apart a little bit and people ended up there a little bit more. People ended up being homeless a little bit more. And in D.C., 
<clears throat> it's, um, I don't know how it's changed in D.C., but there was a lot of homeless people. And, um, yeah, just the same kind of screamers and uh, stuff. But they, they, smelled, they smelled way worse. That's the one thing I'll say about it. Just as an objective third party here, guys. The smells, the stuff I smelled in D.C. was insane. It was completely insane. And so the first night, I'm like, I take this like 25-minute walk into beautiful part of town, Georgetown. Um, a little, I had a little Airbnb in Georgetown. I put my bag down, beautiful little Airbnb. I just love Airbnb. How I don't understand how they can all be so nice and affordable. Incredible. Um, so I'm walking around a little bit there, and it's like so many fun things. It's, I love the East Coast architecture. The East Coast architecture has so much more character and background. It feels like it has a lineage. It feels like it came from something where maybe it's not old. Maybe you're looking at a building, and maybe that building itself isn't old, but at least the guy who built it built it based on this older idea of how we build buildings it's like red brick you know brownstone maybe they're called just like that sort of east coast it, it, it really reminded me of those like things you see in new york um tv shows or whatever of just like tall beautiful narrow windows um crammed in lots of units next to each other a uh, tiny little green area out front next to the stoop and beautiful architecture but um, actually what I was going to say about it is that um, there was an insane amount of rats <laughs> like um, I uh, put my bags down and I um, looked on my phone for some food and lots of good food around there in Georgetown beautiful area but so I ordered some um, Chinese food I ordered some dumplings and some uh, think it was called like a chongqing lamian or something so i order a soup noodle and a um, bowl of dumplings because a hot soup noodle because you have to eat it outside you know and it's freezing outside so i was like let's get a soup noodle and just uh, so i walked down to the potomac river and i can't tell you like i'm such a politics nerd <laughs> and i've been a politics nerd for so long and it's like to be there, it just felt so meaningful. All of it just felt so nice and meaningful. And the Potomac River, which is snaking around the seats of, uh, just a seat of power, it's just so nice. It felt so important. And so I'm sitting there and I'm eating my soup noodles and it's delicious and, and it's warming me up and, and it's I'm really having a good time. And... Um, Beautiful waterfront, you know, well-kept. Um, everything is like just these like beautiful large stone slabs and just like a nice, very... I'm, I'm really feeling the East Coast design philosophy more than the West Coast, where the West Coast is way more of this stucco. Everything is like tan colored fake materials everything is so fucking Disneyland on the west coast it's all just mech mansions on the west coast and on the east coast it's like these 
austere stone materials. But as I'm sitting there on these beautiful stone materials, heating up with the soup noodle and everything, I'm like, I finish up and I go to throw my stuff away and I have never seen that many rats. I walk over to this trash can and I've never seen that many rats. So there's a tension here where it's like, the city is beautiful and I love the architecture and I love the feeling of government and like everything is so steeped in it. Like all the streets are named after states. I stayed on Wisconsin Avenue and the cars are totally different. Everyone, all the cars are just like these black sedans and town cars and SUVs and all the cars have tinted windows. So when you realize like how many people are in government and how all the people around all the congressmen are also important and how those people also are important and how there's this like cascading network of important people where there's like tens of thousands of important people in DC and they all have they're all in like tinted window cars so there's this feeling of like I almost got hit by first night I almost got hit by this weird SUV where I have a green light to cross the street I start crossing the street and this car is turning and not stopping and it's like I'm going and it's going in front of me and I'm stopping and it's stopping and and it, dude, it got so close to hitting me and it's like raining and slippery. And I thought I was going to get hit by this SUV. And it's like probably a Republican in that car. Like I'm not saying, but I'm, I'm saying, you know, like it's probably that QAnon, Marianne Wilkinson, whatever her name is, Marianne Taylor Moore, who knows what her name is. The QAnon lady was probably in that car fucking doing coke and and speaking in tongues or something oh and this car almost hits me and they're like swerving left and i'm swerving left and swerving right and i'm swerving right and then it misses me and goes past me and and keeps going for like 50 feet and then stops in the middle of the street as if it knew that it i don't know like as if they finally regained control of the car after like fucking dropping the coke into her shoe or something and um i almost like took a picture of it and put it on Instagram and was like, <laughs> I don't know. It'd be funny to take a picture of the license plate and be like, can someone tell me what congressman is in this car? Because they almost killed me just now. But um, yeah, there's a weird tension of how the city is beautiful and it has all these things like the architecture, the cars, it all feels very powerful. It all, feel, all feels very important, but it also feels like recently it's struggling a little bit. Like it feels like the COVID thing, like the, the rats and the smell and the homeless people, it feels like that isn't necessarily how they've always been doing it. That's, and I don't know that to be a true, but that's the feeling I got. Like, yeah, that's the feeling I got. And uh, yeah, so I walked around and I went to um, all the bodegas that first night, and I went looking for sparkling water. I went looking for local brands of sparkling water, but uh, that's not really a thing. They don't have it. There was no local sparkling water. They just had bubbly. They had bubbly and aha. And um, so I got a can of aha. I got a can of a tall boy of uh, green tea citrus, lightly caffeinated, aha. Uh-huh. 
and um, and I got a, a caffeinated Soylent, like the meal replacement drink, Soylent. And I got some uh, some snacks, and um, and then that first night I um, I got screwed by the what's it called the time difference, like jet lag hit me because I I couldn't fall asleep because when I'm trying to go to bed at at midnight it's actually three it's actually nine p.m. in Seattle I think that's right and. I had only had one meal. I because I woke up early, got on the plane, had like some crackers on the plane, arrived back at the air, arrived at the Airbnb at like 6 p.m. so I had some food. And then I only had that food at 6 p.m. So when I'm trying to fall asleep, I'm super hungry and all the food I have is a meal replacement beverage which is caffeinated. So at midnight I'm hungry and I can't sleep and I'm like trying to sleep. And then at 2 a.m., I do this. I just executive decision. I'm starving. I can't fall asleep. I order McDonald's delivery. And, you know, the thing about the bus from the airport was like a really strong flashback to like a Chinese thing. It felt really un-American. It felt really Chinese. Ordering McDonald's at 2 a.m. is like the ultimate Chinese thing to do, dude. Uh, first of all, it's very recent that you can even order McDonald's in America. In China, for some reason, they've had delivery McDonald's for a very long time, and it's it's its own thing. Where like they have McDonald's invented a moped, McDonald's invented a box that goes mounted on the back of the moped with a compartment for hot stuff and a compartment for cold stuff. They have their own helmets that say that have the McDonald's golden arches on this red helmet. It's a beautiful helmet. And they have their own armada of tens of thousands of delivery guys. And you can order McDonald's and it'll show up at your house in like 15 minutes, any time of day. And it's beautiful. And you know, it's a very consistent product and it's very affordable. A Big Mac is like two bucks. And honestly, not all Big Macs in the world are the same. In Sweden, a Big Mac is ex- super expensive and really, really nice. It's like all organic. It's way fresher. Sometimes you get it and it's like, damn, dude, this looks better than the fucking food photography photo. Like, this is incredible. This is a beautiful piece of work. That's not what it's like in China or America. It's shittier, but... In America and China, it's the same burger, exactly the same quality Big Mac. And in China, it's so cheap. $2, you get it, and it's like the delivery fee is like fucking 30 cents or something. You know, you're talking 22 kwai and you get a Big Mac delivered to your house any time of day. So, um, yeah, and you know, and you know, in China, I used to drive all these scooters and and I would have these little gasoline scooters, these little mopeds. And this one time, I got the McDonald's delivery driver to give me his helmet. Because it's not so cool to wear a helmet, you know? And we didn't really wear helmets so much, but I feel safety is important, and I wanted to wear a helmet. And I felt like that helmet, though, is enough of a hipster thing. I can wear the McDonald's helmet, and that will be cool. And that's what I did. And... 
I wore that helmet like a motherfucker. And then I could, oh God, do this brings me back. I um, I um, also noticed that the McDonald's employees had these like stonewashed denim, like really rough gray work pant denim pants with the with yellow stitching and on the back pockets there was the golden arches uh, embroidered into the back pockets on both pockets and I fucking wanted those pants dude and I kept asking the guys for their pants but they wouldn't give me their pants they gave me their helmets but they wouldn't give me their pants and then I think it was David Phillips his then girlfriend now wife Jesse I think it was Jashi who was tutoring one of the big wigs at McDonald's and I asked everyone for the pants the McDonald's pants and she asked one of the big wigs hey I got this foreigner over here can we get him two pairs of McDonald's brand work denim stonewashed gray pants and she got me two pairs. And dude, I wore them shits until they fell apart. And when they fell apart, after years of use, they were my favorite pants, man. After years and years of insane use, you know, you fucking getting wrecks on your scooter and you're sliding down the street and it fucking rips up the side of the pant, but the pant is like this strong material, so it kind of withstands it, but the buttons just go flying, but it like you keep wearing those pants and they just get worn thinner and thinner and thinner, and then when there's holes all over them, you know what I did? I turned them into cut-off shorts. So I had these like insanely cool hipster McDonald's brand cut-off shorts. And that was maybe when I peaked, you know? Like, that was maybe when I was the coolest. When I was wearing my cut-off shorts. No, not when they were shorts, actually, because that's that's when the stars beginning to fade. But when I had those crisp-ass pants and that McDonald's helmet and I was driving that scooter around, look, man, I could do anything I wanted. I could do absolute, like, I could talk to anyone. It was, a, I was in a state of mind where I would go to these parties and I would just walk up to anyone. Like, I wasn't afraid of anything. I wasn't afraid of anything. I remember being at a party once and I can't even tell that story. Um, but I insulted the uh, Australian ambassador. But I can't, I can't tell you why because there's too much contraband in that story. But, but um, the thing is that I know that I peaked then and that... that that was my time because later I I find myself wanting to recreate that feeling and that mood. And then, you know, like after four years in Shanghai, I moved to Sweden and, and uh, enrolled in Chinese class. And, and then after a year of Chinese class, me and all the little China students, we do an, a foreign exchange semester in Beijing. So I'm in Beijing and I buy a scooter because I'm trying to recreate that thing I had in Shanghai. And... I get a scooter, blah, blah, blah. I think I got an electric scooter. <sighs> everything was shittier because it was Beijing. And everything, and it's like they, the gasoline scooters in Beijing, I mean, it wouldn't go over well with the locals, you know? Because it's not legal. It was never legal, but in, in Shanghai, we could do it, you know? Because we could do anything we wanted. And in Beijing, I fucking have to get an electric one. 
and then I order McDonald's with the intent purpose of getting the guy up to my apartment so that I can get the helmet. So I'm in Beijing. This is like six years after I had the helmet. I get him in my apartment. He gives me the food and I'm like, I want to buy your helmet is what I tell him. And I bring out the big bucks, the crispest, biggest bill they have, the hundred kwai bill. It's pink. It's got Chairman Mao on it, like all of them. It's a crisp pink 100 kwai bill, okay? I'm like, give me your helmet, your McDonald's helmet, and I'll give you this pink crisp boy right here. And he's like, damn, dude. He got the crispy straight from the bank, you know? Like, crisp Chinese money is super crisp. And he took it, and he gave me the helmet. And then, three hours later or something, or maybe the next day, I don't even remember, he came back, and he was like, dude, I have to have the helmet back. You have to give me the helmet back. I got in so much trouble. And I think he tried to lie and be like, I lost the helmet, but they, like, wouldn't. They needed him to like go back and get the helmet then. If you lost it in the fucking ditch, go to that ditch. Like this helmet, like you're getting fired if you don't get this helmet back. Like they weren't fucking around. Because in Beijing, they're really anti-fun. You know, in Shanghai, I think I didn't even, I think I paid those guys probably like 30 kwai or something to give me the helmet. You know, because we just looked at the world and we just like came up with deals. You just, you just tell the world what you want and you... You try to, like, come up with a deal, you know? You negotiate. And it's beautiful. And it's fun-oriented. And in Beijing, it's like, no. Oh, you want to have that helmet? No, that's too much fun. And I mean, I have a heart, you know? So I gave him the helmet back. I didn't want him to lose his job or whatever. So he fucking comes back and asks for the helmet back. (laughs) And that was so emblematic to me of how... You know, I'm trying to recreate something that I will never have again, you know? I peaked and I should just accept that. So after that, I just like accepted that now I'm going to live a smaller life and I'm going to be a smaller man and we're going to have smaller ideas and this is going to be an an era of limitations, you know? Let's dream small. Uh, What was I talking about? How did I start talking about McDonald's, about my DC trip? I don't know. So then I um, go to bed and, and uh, oh yeah, I ordered McDonald's. That's how I got into it. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh yeah, and it wasn't good even. Like, or I start, it's like this. At 2.04 a.m., And I have to wake up at 8 a.m. to go to the Swedish embassy, mind you. 9 a.m. I have to wake up at 9 a.m., let's be honest. At 2.04 a.m., I order McDonald's. And then we wait. And then you're in this situation where now I can't go to sleep. If I fall asleep, that's a big problem. Because then there's probably some man downstairs hoping to get in or something. So I write in the app, just put it outside of the door. And then I got some error message that that's not possible. And then time, the time is going. The estimated delivery time was 20 to 30 minutes, which is already like, that's not perfect. But, you know, it's 2 a.m. 
and then 30 minutes goes by, 40 minutes go by, and the food hasn't been picked up yet. There's no driver. And I'm starting to I'm starting to feel like this is a really bad idea. Because like if this now is a thing where I'm staying up for two hours because I was too hungry to sleep, I mean it's just a bad, bad time all around. But in the end it took like fifty-eight minutes for it to get to me. And the guy didn't accept just leave it outside of the door. He like called me seven times and made me come down and grab it through the window from his car. And there was a lot of janky people on the street, even though it was a very nice part of town. Um, so I eat a Big Mac and a uh, Quarter Pounder. And let's be real, I also had a, a small ice cream, you know? Full disclosure, this podcast has always been about radical honesty. So um, I eat the ice cream and then I... Um, go to bed and I fall asleep and then I, I wake up and I walk down to my um, my Swedish embassy and it's nice, you know, it's nice. They do know what the mood is that they're going for in there. And they, it's like, it's like a McDonald's, you know, like it's, they have a brand and they, know what the brand is and they make everyone know what the brand is. So when you go into a consulate wherever in the world, a Swedish consulate, it is the same mood. And the mood starts out with the color of the wood. It's wood that maybe looked expensive in the early 90s, you know, like sort of light colored birch wood. I don't know if it's like, it's probably eco-friendly. It's probably affordable. Like it didn't cost the taxpayers too much. It looks kind of cheap, but it's the same wood everywhere. And they went ham on this wood. So it's also like when you go to the Swedish, when I imagine the Swedish parliament, Riksdagen, that's what we call the parliament. When I imagine that, I know with, I've never been there with a thousand percent certainty that everything in there is that wood. Absolutely. Unequivocally. Light wood. Light colored birch wood. Like these thin strips of it. You can put it together and turn it into whatever. So you get to the Swedish embassy in D.C. and it's like everything is like light colored wood. But... Um, yeah, the COVID protocol over there. I mean, it's the building is called House of Sweden. So I think that it's more than an embassy. And maybe there's like a little bit of a exhibition showing off Swedish stuff and, and something on the first floor. And maybe this also an event space. Like it's probably other stuff. That's how we usually try to do it. But these days, all it is is a big glass structure. And the inside of which is all light-colored wood. And then you walk in, and there's one guy. And he's a security guard. And he's a big black guy. And he asks you, what you got on, like, what, what, what are you trying to do, you know? And then I tell him I have an appointment. And he asks me what my appointment is for. And I gave him the right answer. Because he wants... 
only one person waiting inside is the vibe I got. And everyone else. So if you show up too early, you have to show up exactly 15 minutes before your appointment. And then you get to wait in, in inside. And if you show up more than that, then you have to wait outside. And then the person before you is going to be waiting indoors. And, and I showed up perfectly. And he let me sit down. And then the whole space is so freaking empty. It's like this enormous building and it's completely empty. So I'm sitting there and it's like, it's getting very close to my time. And I don't know if anyone knows that I'm even there. Because all he said is, just wait over there. Take a seat over there. And so I'm sitting on this light-colored birch bench next to this light beige birch wall and I don't know if anyone even knows that I'm there you know like there's no front desk there's no secretary he doesn't like intercom anyone (laughs) I'm just sitting there but there is a little bit of glass and there are in the distance I see a lady who probably is the passport lady that I'm there to meet and maybe she has seen me who knows and There's very little activity and my time comes up and I feel like I should be making it known that I'm there, but, but they, they have a system, you know, they have a system and she brings me in and, and it was all good. It was like 200 bucks to renew my passport, but it's all good, you know? And, um, I'd filled out the paperwork with my shitty handwriting and it was all good. It was all Gucci smoochy. And then she tells me to go around the corner and there's a lady there behind the glass, a second lady, and she's from Skåne, you know? She's a Swedish lady and she's from Skåne and that's where I'm from in Sweden and we have the same accent and it's nice. And I don't know how to do small talk with Swedes anymore, but I go, I wing it, you know? And I have certain pointers for myself that I try to remember when I meet Swedes that like looking at them and being silent is better than saying something that's directly translated from English. Because being like, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Things like that. We don't say that. So then it's better to just be like, hello, you know, and to get on with it. And then you just have to let the Swede pick the topic, you know? So the topic she picked was like, oh, you're coming from far away. And I don't want to make it a big thing when I'm like, yeah, because you guys' system sucks. <laughs> because I used to be able to renew my passport in Seattle. And now I have to fly across the whole country and spend three days in Washington, D.C. during a global pandemic. Because you can't just like let me mail this to you. Or let the lady come to Kirkland in Seattle so I can do it in Seattle. Like, I don't want to let out all this negativity that I do have in there. So I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I did come a long way. I kind of traveled to get here to do this, even though this is kind of a kind of a low-grade problem. Kind of like a little errand that you, it's kind of like dropping off dry cleaning or something. But you have to fly across the country to do it. So, yeah, I I kind of did travel pretty far to do this. You're right, lady. And then she's like, oh, Seattle, yeah, I've been there twice. And then she's like, oh, yeah, what's that market? And I'm like, it's called Pike Place Market. You're talking about how you went to Seattle and you went to Pike Place Market. 
And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pike Place Market. Yeah, I went there. So cute. And then I went to, uh, you, you know Starbucks? And I'm like, yeah, lady. I know Starbucks. I know what you're talking about. Coffee, right? They make coffee. And then she's like, yeah, Starbucks. Uh, that's from there. And I went to the first Starbucks. It's right next to the market. And I'm like, yeah, you're talking about, you're talking about that first Starbucks location. That's what you're talking about. And that's all that is, you know? You're talking about how you went to Pike Place Market when you visited Seattle and you went to the first Starbucks location. We're having this conversation because I live in Seattle and, and that's apparently the conversation that you have to have with a Swede. But you know what? We're from the same little shitty place in Sweden, so I'm just going to humor you and I'm not going to make fun of you. And we're just going to have this conversation and I'm going to be like, yeah, Seattle, it's so cute. And you probably visited in summer, and it probably wasn't even raining. It was probably green and nice, and you walked around, and nothing bad happened. It's probably what happened. You know what I mean? Because that's how it goes with Seattle. And uh, that's the small talk we had. And then um, I took a new passport photo, and I had I'd gone to the hairdresser. I'd gotten... The really, really short bust sides, you know, looking a little bit Third Reichish here on the sides, but but it's all gooch. Um, and then, you know, the mullet is really coming in, so it's really like coming down off of the sides. You know, the back curtain is, you can kind of see it from the front. That's what you want with a mullet. You want you want that thing in the back to be so big that you can see it from the front. And it's starting to come down over my shoulders, you know. And then I got a little bit of volume on, on top, kind of short, but I put a little bit of product in it. I made it all nice. And then I wore my red Hawaiian shirt and I did a little bit of a smile. And then she took the picture and I looked at my face and I hated my ugly fucking face, but at least I have a mullet and a Hawaiian shirt, you know? So I'm like, yeah, lady, that's a great photo. Even though I should have been like, can we take one more? Cause my face is ugly. But, um, yeah. And then she was like, yeah, two weeks. You can pick it up in Seattle. And they were all very nice about it all. You know, it was nice. It was nice. And then I left and went back to the Airbnb, and I was like, I should go for a run. But the thing is that I had only slept five hours on account of the whole ordering McDonald's at 2 a.m. thing. So um, I was tired and I just sat there on my phone and I didn't go for a run. And here's the thing. I brought, I did this thing that successful people do that I imagine that successful people do. I did this thing that's very aspirational that I wanted to be true for me where I go on a trip and on the trip I bring not only the shoes that I will be wearing for everyday use, I also brought a pair of running shoes, a pair of sneakers for exercise. And I brought sweatpants to go running in and a hoodie to go running in, okay? I brought this whole workout outfit. I'm gonna be there for three days. All three days I'm gonna go for a run, you know? Each of the three days. Three runs is how many runs I'm going to get in on this trip. You know how many runs I got in on the trip? Zero. I never even put on these running shoes that I fucking schlepped across the country. 
doesn't that just kill you? You know, you have dreams. You dream of something happening a certain way. And then it doesn't happen like that. You want to be a kind of person who goes on a trip and then when you're on the trip, you exercise. <sighs> but instead, you're the kind of fucking delusional person who not only don't you exercise, you also have these delusions that make you carry all that shit with you on a trip. You know, doesn't that just break your heart? But that's what I did. So instead, I sat there on my phone for like an hour and a half. And then I was like, I should probably go eat something now. So I, um, well, I should probably go eat something. I should probably, you know, see D.C. Like, that's what it was really about. I wanted to see Washington, D.C. So I um, had the whole day in front of me, and I walked it. I walked the whole thing, and I, I walked from Georgetown to the White House, it was like a 40-minute walk, but I wanted to see it because it's like Pennsylvania Avenue stretched. I mean, there's several Pennsylvania Avenues, but Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest beams out from a part of the White House all the way to my Airbnb, basically. So I walked down Pennsylvania Avenue, and I kind of cut off here and just look at the different neighborhoods and, and the architecture and all the stuff. And it's like, it's a lot of like pretty nice looking hotels it's a lot of fancy restaurants and it's a lot of shit like like when you read those like Washington Post articles about how Trump has some lawyer and and the lawyer is always having lunch at some famous watering hole for politicians down the street from the fucking White House or something and and some journalist is sitting on one table over and they overhear Trump's lawyer saying something secret and some crazy new Trump idea. And, you know, the restaurants all look like places where that sort of thing goes down. Where there's a lot of congressmen horse trading, shit like that. But then there's also like a slightly lower tier restaurant that just seems like the whole city that gives the city this feeling of it's a working man's city too because as much as there's like an incredible amount of power and money and everything and, and being in control of the most powerful country in the world there's also a lot of work behind it like there's a lot of long hours and like you have to eat a lot of food and it's just like work there's a lot of just like people in suits just kind of working hard is what it's looking like People looking kind of tired. Like it's not all fancy. That's the vibe, you know? But so um, I walk all the way to the White House. And honestly, when I'm walking up there, I'm feeling like I'm going to have this like incredible emotional experience because it's been like a week since inauguration. And I didn't like Donald Trump. And I think Joe Biden is a is a fine man, and he's had a lot of shitty opinions all throughout his career, but he's kind of just like one of these career politicians, which is kind of what you want, where they just sort of like listen to what people want, and then they come up with the most pragmatic, good way of doing that. And because of that, I love Joe Biden. And I felt like I was going to see the White House, and I was going to feel like, 
we're back on track, you know? We're going to go back to the thing we were trying to do under Obama, which is to save the planet from climate change and, you know, to get people some rights and to reverse this incredibly destructive trend of the middle class being hollowed out and all these things. And it's like, I'm going to see the White House and I'm even if it's far away, I'm going to see the White House and I'm going to have this strong emotional thing. But it's like, dude, I get there. And it's like, bro, it's military. It's all military. And the military has shut down so much of the city around the White House that like several blocks before the normal place where you can't get any closer, you can't get any closer. And then, so I'm walking south and the buildings are beautiful, honestly. And the buildings all around there are super important in their own right, you know, I'm sure. And and there's all this stuff going on, but they have asked for the White House. You know, I'm walking south and it's like I can see the south lawn through this fence. And the fence is a black, tall <coughs> riot fence. Like it's some sort of like strange militarized mesh tall riot fence that has these cement blocks behind it that is keeping it up and it all seems it didn't actually look it looked expensive and heavy and it was very hard to see through and it was very obstructive but it honestly didn't even look like it was the safest way to go with this like just like a regular fence seems way i don't know because this was all like modular like each piece of the fence is like two or three feet. And it feels like it looked like you could just pull it forward so it comes off of its cement block and then just knock it over and then you have a hole in the fence. Like They didn't even look attached to each other. I don't know what's going on. But the thing is that I couldn't even barely see the South Lawn and I couldn't see the White House at all. So then I'm walking south because I'm like, I have to be able to see it from straight south or straight north. That's just the feeling I get that you can see it from ahead. Like you can't get up close to the White House. You can't get on the grass. But there's like a, you know, you see pictures. People pick it outside of the White House, like outside of the fence. And the White House is like back far back in the distance. Um, so I was like, that's probably the south, straight south. So I walk all the way south and I get to the spot where I'm right in between the White House and the Washington Monument, the, the big, very phallic pillar monument. And I'm looking, and it's like, dude, you can't even see the White House. Like, you cannot see it at all. There's just trees. So then I'm like, oh, it must be that you can see it from the north, like straight north. That must be the facade that you see sometimes. So I walk, and it's like, I keep, I keep circling the White House, and it's so big, and it takes me so long to walk around it. Oh, and so then I'm like walking north on the other side, trying to circle around, and like the uh, Department of Commerce, maybe it's called, is on the right, and the White House is on the left, but I can't see it. I still haven't seen the White House, and then I'm looking on the map, and it's like there's this park that people have public ac access to, and you can see the White House from that park. I'm sort of Googling it on my phone while I'm walking. And it's like, you can see the White House from the park just north of the White House. And it's like, 
you're about, you know, who knows, 150 meters from the White House, you can see the White House, whatever. So I'm going to go to that park. And it's like everything is militarized and there's just, everything is fenced off. Everything is a military checkpoint. It's not just that there's hella cops, there's hella military everywhere and I can't get anywhere. And I'm like, I'm like, I want to ask them like, hey, is there any vantage point from which I can see the White House? And I don't ask them because I don't want to get shot. And then I, in the northeast corner of this enormous square of impenetrable fencing and military checkpoints, I find something, a little something called the White House gift shop. And you know what? In my whole trip, maybe the White House gift shop was just one of the nicest things. Because you walk in there and it's all like... It's Kamala Harris on a fucking coffee mug. And it's like old guy Biden on a fridge magnet. And it's shit like that. And it just felt nice. Because it felt really mundane and normal. And it felt like... (sighs) It felt real. It felt real is what it felt like. It felt like Joe Biden was president. And... Yeah. So then I keep walking past the gift shop. I went in the gift shop. I didn't buy anything. And then I get to the um, park, and the park is so not accessible. Like, I mean, it's so close. You don't even understand how close it is. Like, there are multiple military checkpoints. And, like, I end up on the inside of a fence, and I'm like, can't even get out? And I'm asking these, like, um, military guys, hey, can I, like fucking step over this fence here so I can leave and they're like no you have to walk down to the other end of the block where we made an opening it's like bro why and yeah so I get to this entrance to the park which is closed and it's covered in I don't know, signs, you know, people write on a piece of cardboard, Joe Biden, you better not fuck this up. And like, blue lives matter. And then someone writes, no, you know, just like infinite, like a lot of BLM stuff. The 80% of it was like BLM stuff. And some lady was like, hey, will you sign our petition so that the 11 million illegal immigrants can get a path to citizenship? And I was like, can we make it? I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like all 11 million is a little bit of a tall order. Like, America isn't ready for all 11 million. Like, it should be like eight, 8 million of them or something. But it wasn't a situation like that where we were negotiating. <laughs> it was a petition. So I was like, lady, for a petition, let's make it 11 million. You know? So um, I signed a Democrats Want Open Borders petition. And they emailed me promptly uh, because I gave them my real name and my real email and my real zip code and everything. And then um, I never got to see the White House. And uh, I was stuck there. And the whole thing from me leaving the Airbnb to circling, walking to the White House and circling the whole White House, more than three hours, more than three hours of walking. So then I'm like, okay, well, the Capitol building, January 6th. There was a storming of it. Uh, Those people got very close. They got into it. I don't need to get into it. 
not even on a legitimate tour or anything. We don't have to do anything like that. I just want to see the building from the outside. So I take the subway. I ate a hot dog. And then I take the subway to the Capitol Building South is what I believe the the metro station was called. And then, you know... I get out of this metro station and between COVID shutting everything down and the storming of the capital, this city is not a city anymore. And like, it's starting to sink in that the QAnon conspiracy, things that I had in my head that I was primed to believe in before walking into the situation and before flying to the city. And, you know, I'm flying to the city to prove the QAnon people that they're wrong. I'm flying to the city to prove to them that we have access to our politicians and America is still a democracy and it's not, you know, a failed military police state. And really, if I'm being honest with you, <laughs> the evidence that is given to me on this trip is that America is some sort of weird military police state because um, I get out of that subway station and it's just like military Humvees, it's like weird circles of National Guard military guys praying. And it's like, guys, is there any coffee around here? I'm like, can I can I buy a cup of coffee? And it's just like, you know, just like big, big noisy military trucks, just like troop transport vehicles going past me. And I'm like, do you guys have any pastries for sale? Drip coffee? It doesn't even have to be a latte or anything complicated. Can I just get like a chocolate dipped croissant and not heat it up or anything, but just like a drip coffee and a croissant? Hold, never mind the chocolate. And there's nothing, you know? There's nothing. And I am five blocks from this Capitol building and I can't get closer because... There is insane blockades and military personnel and it's not available to me. And then I start walking around it, see if I can get closer because Google Maps really, hey, people at Google, they really do not know that this city is shut down. They, I'm just asking like, hey, how do I get to the Capitol building? by walking and they're just like walk down the street and it's like this street doesn't exist anymore and the map app does not know this okay so i'm trying to walk to the capitol building and it doesn't happen and then i give up very quickly so then i veer off and just walk away from it all and i'm just looking for coffee so i find a strip with a couple of restaurants and it's like Everything looks so closed. It's like so rainy and dark and there are no people anywhere except military people. And I see this one restaurant and it looks dark in there, but I try the door and the door is open and I walk in and there's an old Chinese lady sitting on a bar stool with her feet up on the bar. She's not wearing shoes or socks. And she has a small, very old television up on the bar playing a Chinese soap opera. 
and this sort of familiar, that just sort of beautiful, staticky familiarity of the Chinese language wafting out from this completely dark restaurant, just sort of, just sort of enveloping me was very nice. And I had a sort of like moment where I like almost asked her in Chinese, what the hell is going on and if they're open? But I really fight that urge. In that situation, honestly, I, I could have. Because it was because you don't want to ask it. You don't want to just be a white guy and walk up to an Asian face and be like talking to them in Chinese immediately. You don't want to be doing that. Because if they're Japanese, then you're a fucking racist piece of shit, white supremacist asshole. But in this situation, it's just her there and it's just me there and she's watching Chinese soap operas. And I could have just done it. She's watching some, you know, some bullshit like um, Sun Wukong, like um, Journey to the West. You know, the Monkey King in the Journey to the West. Like China has maybe made 1,000 television shows telling the, retelling the story of the Journey to the West saga with the protagonist being a monkey who's really finicky and persnickety and has a lot of funny noises. And um, she was watching one of those. And I asked her if they're open, and she's like, no, we're not open. She had just forgotten to lock the door. So uh, she's like, yeah, if you turn down there and just keep walking, you know, you'll find some coffee. And and I found some coffee, and... um, and I gave up. I was like, I'm not circling the Capitol building. I'm not doing the same thing I did with the White House. I'm just accepting that democracy is dead. And you know, it's there. I mean, I really believe in this aspect of it to be important. The aspect of access to our politicians. I believe that it is detrimental to the idea of democracy when we feel like our politicians are far away from us that we don't have access to them. I believe that the QAnon conspiracy is fueled by that sense of distance that has been been allowed to happen in America too much, where politicians in the popular consciousness, politicians are viewed as these things that are far away and they are so inaccessible and we have so little contact with them that they maybe they're fucking reptile people is what we're now considering that's how far deep down the hole they've been lying to us they don't seem to have any human empathy so they might be reptile people like that's a thought people are entertaining because that's how far away from us they have drifted and there's something you know in Sweden we have a couple of ideas and One of them is that everything that belongs to a politician professionally belongs to the people to the point where there is no, like a a Swedish citizen can walk into the office of a politician and open his desk drawer and look through all of his papers. That's the idea, that you have a right to do that. And for anything where the politician is saying, no, you can't look at that, 
the burden of evidence is upon that politician to explain why that specific piece of paper needs to have an exception surrounding it for why the citizen isn't allowed to look at it. And that's like an, is that an actual thing? I have to Google this. Hold on. Okay, wow. Um, so not only is it a thing, when I just Google, I just Googled Grundlagarna, and which just means basic law. And the first website is just the government's description of what our basic law is. And it's listing these things where the first basic law is the government form. Just describing how um, the shape of the government and how the government is a representative of the people. And then the next one is succession uh, sequence, like uh, the king who takes over for the king. And then the next one is... The next one is your right to print anything and... The last one is your right to say anything, but one of the subtypes of the um, the right to print anything is um, this thing I'm talking about, offentlighetsprincipen. It's this basic principle that anything that a politician, any pr anything printed that a Swedish politician has anything to do with, is working with, has access to, can be accessed by a person. And the person that is asking for access to the piece of paper you're holding in your hand does not have to identify himself. You can just ask for it. Any information that has to do with the government. And it's like, it's like full transparency is really, I really think that's going to be the most important thing in the government of of tomorrow because with technology and the internet and everything we will they will have all of our information and we can't stop that so the only thing we can do in return is to ask for them to also give us complete transparency and it needs to be something where technology is used to help instead of destroy and what that should look like is that there should be a government should have a website showing exactly where all the money is going exactly how much money in taxes was collected from all the different types of taxes and then exactly where all that money is spent and just like it's like just get a graphic designer on it you know just do full transparency, get a graphic designer on it, get a little bit of a UI designer on it where you can, you know, sales tax and you double tap on it and it blows up and you can see the different types of sales tax. Like we don't have anything like that in a nice, accessible, beautifully, perfectly transparent way. And it's like, it's only when you have it completely open like that and you have the actual hard numbers open like that in a really, really full comprehensive spreadsheet where people are allowed to look at it, it's only then that they can find the corruption because then they can be like, oh, these numbers don't actually match. I, like, you should, each citizen should be able to follow their specific tax dollars that they paid in so that we all can check our own and then we can know... If there's a description, like, look, I have a really clear, clear idea of what that's going to look like. And man, 
It's something I've been thinking about for a long time, and I really hope I can. Um, I really hope I can be the prime minister of Sweden one day and, and make him do it. But um, there's a sort of there's a sort of related side to that, which is that in the year 1986, when I was born, the Swedish prime minister was assassinated. He he had no security. He was just walking down the street in the capital. He was he went to the movies with his wife. And then they came out of the movie theater. He didn't have a bodyguard. He was this Ulf Palme was his name, and he was a social democrat party. I think. I mean, I might be totally wrong, but he was a social democrat party prime minister, and he was a good guy. He was a good man, and he had integrity. And you know, he took a lot of difficult positions on foreign policy and stuff, and. And he had a couple of enemies, but, you know, it was a very uncorrupt system. And there's something about having your politicians walk around amongst the people without bodyguards so that you can walk up to them and yell at them or talk to them. There's something about that that really helps. Like, you can't have QAnon in that situation. I don't know if that's true, but because there is a video of someone just fucking harassing the shit out of Mitt Romney at an airport where Mitt Romney has no security, nothing. He's just sitting alone on his iPad and they come up to him and they're like, you fucking lizard pedophile. I can't remember what they say, but they they there are people who believe that the election was stolen. And they're mad that Mitt Romney isn't siding with Trump and and um, I don't know. I just think that there's something important there in the perceived and the actual mingling of politicians with the people. And I think that in Sweden was damaged when Ulf Palme was assassinated in 1986. And after that, I think Swedish politicians had a lot more security. And I think it just sort of damaged the idea because he walked around with that idea he was a symbol of the idea of, I don't want to have security. I just want to, partly for myself, I just want to live a normal life. But it's like, you need the politician to live a normal life to know what people are going through so that he can govern with regular people in mind. If we keep our politicians sequestered, and you know Barack Obama talks about that all the time, how how he thought it was such a weird, like D.C. is such a weird place. Obama always talked about that. I was like, he was put in such a weird situation where he like didn't have normal freedom of movement and couldn't live a normal life and, and felt really cooped up. And it was very hard to stay connected, which is why he left D.C. I don't know. He said that in some interview. Who knows? But um, yeah, I really think that that idea is so important. And I really felt like... My trip to D.C. was a monument to the death of that idea. And I mean, it's not a good time, you know. There's a global pandy, and I went fucking, you know, a week after the inauguration, which was, everyone was terrified of the inauguration being an echo of, you know, the most violent terrorist act. I mean, the most threatening. The January 6th uh, break-in of the Capitol building in D.C., and um, the insurrection. And um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, 
I am one of the people who's saying that I don't think that all of that COVID is his government overreach. I think COVID is a real thing. I think the pandemic is a real thing. I think we have to do these drastic things. And I believe that there will be a rollback. I just worry about being wrong because what I saw there in DC is something that needs to be rolled back. And we can't have that be the new normal because that's not good. It's not good to shut down 40 blocks around the Capitol building and have those just be like a fucking military base, like you're in Iraq. And, you know, there's a commissary where you can get Snickers bars, but there's no other businesses. Like, there's no civilians. There's nothing normal in there. Uh, That is not a good way to run the government because then... You are feeding the conspiracy theories too much. That's a, you're giving them fuel. You need to roll this back. Otherwise, all will be lost. Because there are all these interesting comparisons. You know? Like, I did this comparison of, like, Chairman Mao two episodes ago that I thought was really good. Where, like... Chairman Mao did a cult of personality thing and that's a very paranoid state of mind and that made him turn on all of his second-in-commands and in through that lens, it's not that weird that Trump turned on Pence and through that lens, it's not so weird that you have culty, weird thinking and QAnon stuff and conspiracy theorists and it's not so weird that you have people drifting away from proper reality through that lens, but then This American Life did a segment on a German guy who was talking about how after World War One, there was this myth. Germany lost World War One militarily, but then afterwards there were these people who said that, no, we didn't actually lose. It was Jews in the government that made us surrender, even though we could have won militarily and they they stabbed us in the back and it's called maybe the stabbed in the back myth or something directly translated from german and then that myth didn't go away that myth wasn't true and the people who made it up knew that it wasn't true but they that didn't go away and it got bigger and then that became a sort of one of the creation myths of the nazi party and you know the rest is history and then they sort of like took over (laughs) You know, the Nazis, they kind of like took over Germany. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a culty, weird conspiracy theory that became the foundational myth for a party that then took over the country and turned it into a dictatorship. And you think QAnon doesn't have some of the makings of that? The, 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 The problem is that we who look at it from the outside, it's so kooky to us and we just... Assume that it's going to fade away now, that it's going to get weaker because there's no truth to it and because there's more and more evidence that it's not true. But the evidence doesn't matter because it's about the feeling, you know? And when I argue with Teresa about this, she doesn't... I send her these videos where I found one guy, his YouTube account is called Anomaly, And he is a right-winger and a Christian guy. 
and maybe a libertarian and a critical thinker and all this stuff. And, and I don't agree with him on any policy, probably. And I, I'm not a Christian and there's, we'd probably disagree on everything. But when it comes to the QAnon stuff, he just says all the things I want to say about it, which is like, look, if they had a plan to arrest everyone, if the deep states had, if they have a secret plan to arrest all these satanic pedophiles, why would they tell you four years in advance on the internet? Like everything about it, none of it makes sense. And if you use normal logic, none of it makes sense. And it's like, why would they tell you in weird riddles? And why would you openly discuss it? And why would they talk to you about the riddles and explain which riddles are right and which riddles are wrong? And why would they like give you, like if the Chinese people are controlling Hunter Biden by having all this compromat on him because he's a fucked up crackhead. Why would they release the video showing him getting a foot job? Because they did. There's a video on all the different porn sites where you can see Hunter Biden getting a foot job and smoking crack. Like if the Chinese government is trying to control him, why would they release that video? Like, none of it makes sense. Um, but when I say that to Teresa, what she sends me to prove to me that it's true is a video with very, very loud music. And that's all you need to know about it. Because it's not about the thinking or the fact it's about the feeling and she really feels it and she sends me these 25 minute videos of people of like snippets of Trump being like yeah bro we're gonna fucking do it for you and we're gonna do it for you and I see you and I love you and there's secret stuff going on and you just wait and the storm is coming and it's like the drums are going and the military music is going and the music is incredible and it's like bro when you're up against that it's a lot like, you know, if you read that book, Black Flag, about ISIS back in the day. The thing about ISIS was that, like, they bring this beautiful emotional proposition to you that you can become a hero in this spiritual war. And the thing is that normal, boring life of being a normal person going to an office and having a job and like trying to save up and starting 401k and maybe buying a house. That shit is so fucking boring compared to the proposition that you can be a, a warrior in a spiritual war. And for anyone who has like a little bit of a bent where they sort of want to believe the Disney stories and they sort of want to believe something beautiful and big and they want to believe that something big is happening. Someone with a little bit of a black and white thinking bent where they want to think that there's good and there's evil and there's a war going on. Like for those people, dude, these QAnon people are not going away because they feel it, dude. And it's a lot like the stabbed in the back myth that was swirling around in Germany after World War One, And the other one... um. Wait, what was I talking about? I was talking about <clears throat> historical comparisons. The first one is I was comparing Trump and Pence to Chairman Mao and Peng Dehuai. And I think that there's a similar dynamic and the cult of personality stuff is similar. And then 
the QAnon stuff is similar to the stabbed in the back myth after World War. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then a third one that's interesting is that um, it, it's so this guy Anomaly, who is a right winger, who is who thinks that the conspiracy theory isn't helpful. He compares it to this. Um, he talks about this book about this Soviet era thing called Operation Trust. It's very interesting. It's like right when the Soviet Union was founded. Like it's a it's an operation that ran just in like in the early 1920s where they the Soviet Union set up fake anti-Bolshevik organizations. Like <clears throat> they set up these organizations that their enemies would go to and be like, "Hey, we're trying to fight the Soviet Union." And a big part of what they did was that they would have these agents that were pretending to be anti-Soviet Union and they would hang around at all the embassy functions and be like, yeah, don't worry about the Soviet Union. We have people on the inside. The Soviet Union is going to fall apart any any day now. And this is like in the early 20s when the Soviet Union is just forming. And they kept being like, no, no, don't worry, don't worry about it. It's uh, It's fine. It's about to fall apart. We have people on the inside. And they didn't. And it formed. And it became a thing, kind of. That kind of, like, did a lot of stuff, you know? And um, it's very comparable because his theory is that maybe the QAnon stuff is deliberate, you know? Maybe it's someone who wants it, who wants those people on the right to be confused and to not do something. And it's like, I don't know that that's true. And he doesn't really even think that that's true. But it's like the effect is the point. The point is like, you have these, because a big part of the conspiracy theory is that people, they just tell each other, trust the plan. You know, God wins. And they believe that some enormous weird, they, they believe that they have agents in the deep state who... Um, Who will fix it all and that I mean it's weird because I'm making the point and this point is actually opposite of what my point is because my point is that I'm a little bit worried about the QAnon people and his point is more like he's worried that the QAnon people aren't fighting the good fight for for God and, and the GOP like he would rather have them just vote for GOP people anyway let me tell you what that YouTube video is called and you can just watch it yourself because it's real good yeah okay so let me just do a, bl a blanket recommendation of this guy because he's actually really interesting and you should check out his videos his name is anomaly but the o is a zero and he he does hip-hop and right-wing <laughs> news commentary and the video i was talking about that i think is really good is called um psyop Explo uh, exposed why are these people lying to us? That's one about QAnon that I think is really good. And then he's just like a really smart guy who I disagree with on everything, which I just think that's so interesting. Like he'll make, he made a video yesterday called Why I Think God is Real. And it's like, I don't think God is real, but to have someone who's actually really smart just sort of break down how they see it, that's really fascinating to me. And then, um, yeah, just like a very um, level-headed guy. What was I talking about? Okay. 
So I was in D.C. and I didn't get to see the White House except for like the just the tiniest little top white part of it behind the trees in the very, very far distance. And overall, this was, I mean, in terms of how much effort I put in and what I got out of it, it might be the biggest failure of civic tourism ever. Like just, I got so little out of it after walking for so many hours. It's absolutely incredible how little I got out of it. I walked probably six hours and I didn't see anything. And I just saw the city and it's a nice city. But so then I just sort of gave up after the Capitol building and I took the subway to the Washington Monument. Because I was like, screw this. I'm just going to look at this monument that's like in the big open space, which is still open. So I don't even make it to the monument. It's so cold that I I decide to see if I can get a a bike share. So I, I, I get on the bike and, and, um, and man, that's really nice, you know, because when you've been walking like a bicycle is so much nicer. And that really perked my spirits back up because just biking through this like chill city. I don't know. What was I feeling? I felt, I felt really good about it all. I listened to a little bit of music and I biked back to my Airbnb and I didn't see anything the whole day. It's so funny. And then the next day I like walked, I I did all the monuments. I didn't actually make it to the Washington Monument that that day with the bike and everything. I On the, the full day I had, I didn't see a single thing. And then on my last day, I went and saw all the monuments and, you know, whatever. I saw the World War II Memorial, I saw the the Lincoln Memorial, the MLK thing, Vietnam War, Korean War, you know, all the stuff. And from the Washington Monument, like the very tall obelisk, you can sort of see the Capitol building. So I kind of saw it in the distance. And um, I think the Lincoln Memorial is really nice, though. Like, I want to give you you guys credit for... No, actually, the whole thing is... The whole thing is nice. Like, there's a lot of... There's a lot of really poetic, nice blurbs etched into the stone of all the different monuments. And it's actually... You know, this week in political monuments, it's actually kind of good. I'll give it a... I'll give it all like a 9 out of 10, you know? It was a good time. And the Lincoln Memorial, it feels very, it's nice. I like how they, they write right there on the wall that the <laughs> Civil War was uh, about slavery because that's one of those things where I can't really tell if people disagree or not or like, is that something people don't believe in? Is that something people believe in? I feel like people go back and forth on that. But that, that's what it was, you know? And that's sad, especially because most of those white people in the South who fought and died to save slavery, they weren't even slave owners because only the richest people were slave owners. That's the part of it that really gets to me. That's the part of it that really echoes this like thing where you have people voting for the Republican Party 
banging their heads against the wall, even though they're not actually even the beneficiaries of these like inca- incredible tax breaks for the true 1%, you know? It's just aspirational. But uh, then I went and got a lobster roll. I went and got a lobster roll. I um, posted some stories on Instagram and um, Max Loring called me and was like, you have to go to Arlington Cemetery. That's what he told me. He told me that everyone who benefits from and enjoys the fruits of the nation of America needs to, at some point in their life, do the, uh, what's that called when you trek to, when you do a holy trek? What's that called? Pilgrimage is the word I was looking for there. Yeah, everyone does a, I didn't want to quote him and then not remember the word he used. Um, so yeah, but instead I went and got a lobster roll. And then I lied to him and was like, I went to Chinatown instead of Arlington Cemetery because that's where my allegiance, that's how my allegiance plays out, you know? The heart wants what the heart wants, you know? A man doesn't choose his own allegiance, you know? And he got really mad at me and that really, I got a rise out of him and I, I enjoy that. Um, but so um, instead I went and got a lobster roll and yeah, <laughs> first of all, I'm standing, it's like there's no one outside because it's raining and it's really cold and it's like just a time when no one decides to do tourism in Washington, D.C. So I'm standing at the MLK uh, Memorial and I haven't seen anyone in a long time. And I call up this restaurant called Luke's Lobsters because I just want to make sure that they're open and that they have lobster rolls. And so I call this place and, and I'm like, do you guys have lobster rolls? And he's like, yeah, it's called it's called Luke's Lobster, okay? Yeah, we have lobster rolls. And it really reminded me of how I have sounded like that, probably. I'm actually very good at not sounding like that. I'm actually the best of anyone at not sounding like that. Like, people will ask me the stupidest questions, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, thank you for calling Bob. Yeah, we have pho. Of course we have pho. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. We have it. We have pho. Because people will call a pho restaurant and be like, do you have pho? People will call like a sushi restaurant and be like, do you have sushi? People will ask stupid questions. And I am so good at meeting them there where they are and making them feel great about it. And this guy wasn't. And most people aren't, you know? I frequently work in a restaurant and hear my coworkers answer stupid questions and not be able to hide their resentment for the person that they are speaking to. And this guy resented me on the phone. This guy over at Luke's Lobsters. So I take an Uber over to Luke's Lobsters, and um, I think it's singular, Luke's Lobster. And I get the four-ounce lobster roll, and then I ask for to pay an extra seven bucks to make it six ounces of lobster. Um, but first... <laughs> When we walk in there, it's so funny. I walk into this restaurant, it's dark. And I feel like, again, with the Chinese lady and the television, I'm like, 
I'm just going to find someone in here to tell me that this place is closed. But I had just called and he told me that they were open. So it's like, I'm not giving up that easy. I go in, it's dark, there's no one in there, like there's no staff. And I just sort of like stand there and I kind of walk around and I kind of look, is there someone anywhere? And then another customer comes in and we kind of acknowledge each other and it's like, yeah, there's no one in here. And the other customer is like, yeah, so maybe we should just grab some beers from the fridge and leave because it's clearly a, it's just, there's something very unnatural about a place of commerce, which is unattended. Like we're not used to that. Places of commerce are always staffed, guarded, because these are places where, you know, there's a ritual that we're for that they they force us into so that we it is it is made clear that we we pay for everything and that we you know go through the the hoops and um there was no one in there and i had just called so i didn't give up so we're just standing there and the guy the other customer guy kind of like walks over to this like behind the the counter door and it's like screaming through this door like is there anyone in here and then we're just standing there. And then after a long time, a guy shows up. And it's probably the guy I talked to on the phone. And yeah, he wasn't a great worker, maybe. And he takes my order, and I order the very, very upgraded lobster roll. It was like 40 bucks. And I order the lobster bisque. And um, they allowed dine-in. So I splurged and I, I sat indoor in the window at a high bar stool and I looked over uh, to the street and the man brought the food over to me and I, I did a little dine-in. And I had a lobster roll and it was, it is very strange to say this, but it was too much lobster. Because this is where I'm coming from, you know? In Sweden, one of the fanciest things you can have is a shrimp sandwich. And, you know, in my working class dad's mind, what's the cut of steak that he thinks is the... Yeah, uxfilet. That's, that's, in his mind, that's the fanciest thing in the world. What is that? All right, I googled it. Beef tenderloin. In my, in the, in the mind of my dad, who hasn't, had access to very nice things and you know he doesn't know about the the good things he thinks that beef tenderloin which is a mm, fine cut of meat he thinks that's the fanciest thing in the world and shrimp sandwiches and when i say sandwich i mean an open-faced sandwich and these are they come in many varieties there are many varieties of shrimp sandwiches in sweden and we have a lot of shrimp salad and we have crayfish salad, shrimp salad. We have a lot of, it's a very different sandwich culture. But these are sandwich spreads. And so it's like chopped up shrimp with something creamy and like a crunchy vegetable. Like maybe um, what's that Mexican thing that is sort of like a potato? Like, it looks like a potato, but you can kind of eat it raw. Jicama. Yes, so... 
Jicama has this like very specific crunchiness that's like not like celery, not like apple, not like it's almost like it's jicama in that shrimp salad in Sweden, but that's kind of what it's like. There's a creaminess, there's chopped up, chopped up shrimp. That's like one thing that you can buy a tub of in any grocery store in Sweden. It's like we also have beet salads. Beet salad is incredible on like liver pate. Oh, that's the best, bro. I've tried to make that, and it's like in like the liver pate that people eat just for breakfast on bread. Is liver pate sounds fancy, but this is not that. This is like Jewish chopped liver, which is just you kind of just mix liver with fat and a little bit of flour, a little bit of milk. You kind of just make this like paste that's like liver flavored, and I've made it myself. And it's so, I I got some liver at Safeway and you can only buy, liver is a weird thing to buy, so you can only buy like a four pound bag. And then I put like half a pound in there and it came out so livery. So what I've realized is that the thing we call this liver pate thing has a very low liver content and only has like a hint of liver, which is delicious. And then you put beet salad on there, which is like cubed chopped up beets in a creamy thing again like a little bit of cream, a little bit of sour cream, something like that. And um, so that's what I'm used to. Those things with like a creamy adhesiveness to it. Mayo, you know? And then adhesiveness, a creamy thing holding it together, making it a sort of spreadable, delicious thing. And then there's like a fancier version where, excuse me, you go to like a nice restaurant in Gothenburg and they serve you a shrimp sandwich and it's like the fancier you go the more you know that they um that the shrimp is hand peeled because what you don't want is machine peeled shrimp is peeled with beams of water and that water washes off a lot of the flavor so what you need is hand peeled shrimp and then at a fancy restaurant it's basically the shrimp salad but deconstructed where they're like the mayo is in its own layer and the shrimp is in its own layer. Look, this is how I understand it, okay? I mean, I'm just talking, I'm just telling you about how I understand it. You know, I don't know if that's true, any of this thing that I'm saying here, but that's how I understand it. So I have this understanding of these seafood sort of bread products that need a lot of creaminess. They need like a vegetable thing to cut the texture there needs to be a crunchiness together with the flesh of the seafood. And those are the things I'm used to. And then in D.C., I order this lobster roll. It's 40 bucks. <laughs> I get to do dine-in. He gets me this roll. So the roll, it looks like a hot dog bun, right? But it's fancier and it's flush, pluff. It's like airy and, and perfect. And very fresh bread. And then in it, it's just lobster. And it's, there's so much lobster. And it's seasoned a little bit with like salt and pepper and something that has some curry powder in it. I don't know what. <clears throat> Maybe it's like a Cajun, Cajun-y sort of thing like that. But it's very much just lobster. 
and I'm eating this, and I was like, dude, I can eat lobster all day, but it's interesting that I would have preferred something that would actually cost them less. That would be that you chop up some of this lobster, you mix it with some mayo, maybe something else creamy, and you throw some onion in there maybe, you know, like chopped up onion. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know that I care for... I think I've had a lobster roll here in Seattle that Stephen Wynn of Seattle Food Adventure, Seattle Foodie Adventure on Instagram brought me, or he got it for free because he has 100,000 followers. Seattle Foodie Adventure, shout out. So a lobster roll company gave him a free lobster roll and he gave me half. And, and I think it was more of this sort of like lobster salad kind of thing. I had a good meal though because I've been trying to have a lobster roll for months and they're very difficult to come by. And I keep texting Ivan and being like, hey Ivan, you got any leads on some lobster rolls? And he's like, nah man, there's nothing. I haven't heard anything. And I keep texting him every week like, Ivan, I heard about this place down by the docks. Nah man, they don't have lobster rolls. And it's like, but Stephen, Stephen had a lobster roll that one time three years ago. Yeah, well, ask Stephen. One of these days, I'm going to climb all the way on top of that mountain and I'm going to ask Stephen myself. But maybe I'm saving that for when I have him on the podcast because I've been wanting to have him on the podcast. But um, then I went back to the White House gift shop and I bought I bought some stuff. You know, I bought a nice-looking cup that says, you know, you know, executive office of the White House or whatever. You know, it's just like a nice presidential emblem, White House logo on the other side, bought a fridge magnet that says, uh, miss me yet, and it's a picture of Obama, bought some postcards, which is like White House on them, you know, I wanted to buy this set of towels that said the White House on them, like, they look like hotel towels, like white fancy towels with like blue embroidered, like a White House patch, like they looked really fancy, they looked really funny, like I don't know. I mean, they just looked like some they probably actually have at the White House. Like, they must have fucking 50 bathrooms in the White House, and they probably maybe have actual towels in there. Like, I don't know. I guess. I mean, I guess the White House is a residence, so I guess it must not be like paper towels like a public bathroom. I I guess it must be more like a hotel. I don't know what it's like in there. I guess it's nice, and I guess they have towels. But I ended up not buying those towels because it felt like, I don't know. They looked good in the store, but, like, is that a funny joke if I have kind of a messy house, and then you go in my house, and my towels look like hotel towels, and they say the White House on them? Like, I don't know. if Maybe that joke needs a specific context. Like, maybe if you have a really fancy house and you get those towels, it's actually a really funny joke. Like, maybe if I ever make it big and I have a big house and I have a guest house, I will keep towels like that for the guest house. And that will make sense to me. Yeah, and then, you know, I uh, didn't have time to go to Arlington. Overall, the whole trip made me want to go back to D.C. when things go back to normal. And here's to hoping that things will one day go back to normal. You know? Because this idea that when COVID is over, it's starting to sound a lot like, you know, when Rihanna drops more music. Um, 
<clears throat> but I finished my lobster roll and I uh, walked over to the subway and I took the subway to um, some weird station out west and where it looked like I could catch a bus and, and I caught another bus. Saved so much money, I just like took another $5 bus. It's like an hour. Fucking drove me an hour to Dulles. It took so long. And, you know, I just love a good deal. Just love a good airport shuttle instead of taking an Uber. And um, I don't know that anything else happened, you know. I flew Alaska. I want to say that that Alaska is good. You know, people shit on the airlines, all the different airlines. People just hate all of them. But Alaska, you know, they feel very human. They feel like they're not the che- it's not the cheapest brand, but yeah, they they try. They try to do a good job. It's not perfect, but they try to do a good job. And I like them. And um, it's nice looking, all the Alaska stuff. It's nice looking. I like it. And I think it's based out of here in Alaska, and I and I when I move when I move from here, I think I'm gonna miss Alaska a little bit because man, in California, whew, it's the only thing people talk about how much they hate the airlines that they have access to. You know, I think in this part of the world, Alaska is the good one, and I think in Asia, the good one is Hainan Airlines. That's the good one. That's the top of the pyramid. You know. What's the good one in? I think SAS is a good one in Europe. Nah. That's not right. I'm ashamed that I said that. That's not right. SAS sucks. I'm such a dirty little Swede thinking that SAS is good. Oh, so hard on myself for being having a working class background. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I should start a food truck serving lobster rolls. Expensive-ass lobster rolls. Uh, it's probably a reason why there are no fucking food trucks serving lobster rolls, because it's like an investment getting a lobster roll, you know? Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to something else. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things a person could be talking about, you know? This is not really a news podcast, but there's infinite things. I um, saw some sort of, like conspiracy theory meme that was like and then they come at you with the fucking anal swab and I thought they were being hyperbolic like oh COVID is so invasive it's like an anal swab and then I saw a screenshot of a Washington Post article where it said something about anal swab in the headline and I was like that has to be photoshopped I didn't believe it and then I googled it and it's like okay that's what we're doing now like there's word from China that they came up with something where the most reliable way to test for COVID is to do an anal swab. It's like, look, I mean, <clears throat> oh, it's just very, very difficult to relax these days. And next to that was, an, was a video of Martha Stewart selling CBD. You know, like what, what's going on? Like I think back on other periods of my life and I just didn't realize how few things were happening and how the things I thought were big things that happened in quick succession, like a big thing is happening every six months. That's not, it's, that's not what it's like right now. That's not what it's like right now. Now 
my mind is being asked to expand every couple of hours. And it's exhausting. The thing about the government doing COVID stuff is, it's interesting because I really go back and forth. Like, Governor Newsom in California is probably going to get a recall election happening. He's probably going to lose his job because he went really hard on the lockdown stuff and then they took pictures of him having dinner at a fancy restaurant at French Laundry in Napa Valley. Famous from that rap song. French Laundry in Napa Valley, says Drake. What was I saying? Yeah, so there's such a thing as too hard of a lockdown, there's too light of a lockdown. And I really think that it's tough. It's actually tough. And in Sweden... We don't do a big lockdown, but we tell everyone that it's a serious business. But because there isn't a big lockdown, people don't get it. Because the government isn't doing super drastic things, it's not sinking in. And everyone's hanging out, and no one is wearing a mask, no one believes in masks. And, yeah, people are not sinking, it's not sinking in. My family members, I see pictures of them hanging out in groups, even though they aren't, like they believe in the virus, it's just like, ah, but it's inconvenient, you know? They are just living in like 2020 late February or something. You know, like when you could tell that it's like, this is a global event now and things are like getting serious and like this can kill you and everything, but like it didn't, it hasn't really sunk in yet. And this is a fucking year in. And one piece of evidence that it hasn't sunk in is also that my mom just sent me a newspaper clipping that her school, she teaches fifth grade or whatever, her school has, they are in person, the kids show up, they are in the classroom, they wash their hands a lot, that's it. And they don't mix between the buildings as much, but she's got 20 fucking kids in a room indoors with her, no masks. And they all believe in COVID and they all wash their hands and talk about COVID, but they don't wear masks. And it's just a different situation. And they have a problem of parent. The newspaper clipping is about how parents walk in and they have a new rule that like parents have to drop off the kids outside and then the parents can come into the building. And parents keep walking into the building. And it's been a year now that the pandy's been going on. And now the newspaper clipping was about how starting Monday, my mom's school is going to have security guards. They have to hire a security company to have security guards on the premises to be a bouncer, basically, at the door. And to tell the parents that, no, you, you can't come in. It makes no sense, though, because the kid is going in and they're all from the same household. So it's like, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. But um, but there is something, what I'm saying is that there is something to, if you want people to take it 80% serious, maybe you got to push the lockdown to 90% serious. And then people are like, oh, you're pushing it too hard. But then at least people believe in it and end up working having like a working theory that puts them at 80% serious 
You know, it's this idea of like anchoring point. I really believe in like anchor points in the mind, like the Overton window, those sort of ideas where like if you're one, if you're arguing about the price of a product and I hold up the product and I say this product is $5 and then someone says, no, that product is $5,000. Then we can all be like, dude, $5,000, that's fucking insane. Like you're just wrong. It's not $5,000. But that anchor point has been created in our minds where $5,000 is now a mind that's been incepted, inception style, and we can't get it out. And even though we started out thinking that the valuation of this product should be $5, and then he says 5000 even though we all know that 5000 is wrong, our window of what we think is reasonable has now shifted towards that. So that even though we thought that was too much, now we can't help but think that even if we think that guy is just completely delusional, we can't help but think that the reality is then probably somewhere in, in the in between. And like, yeah, I mean, you know, people always talked about how that's what Trump was doing. He would just say the most outrageous things in the craziest direction. And then we could not help but find ourselves drifting in that direction because he would always turn it up to 9,000 in the in the direction he wanted and then we ended up giving him you know we gave him a little bit he tried to take an arm every single time and we ended up giving him a finger because yeah yeah giving him the finger yeah, anyway but um you know i really struggle with this because it's like there's so much you have to admit that it is weird the people on the right have some ideas that make sense like there was a presidential election and the week after all the vaccines came out <laughs> like what happened there can we talk about that like no one wanted to talk about it as it was happening because it was too on the nose and it was too annoying and we didn't want to admit that it was weird but it was weird like it was weird it was weird that all the vaccines came out they came out with two vaccines like not even one they came out with two vaccines and like the week after the election and then now they have a third and a fourth one. It's like, what? And as soon as the inauguration happened, now they want to open it back up. And it's like, yeah. Politicians jimmy the numbers. Politicians interpret things, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's hard for me to tell how much corruption is going on in the U.S. government because there's so much, there's so much nonsense around it that it's hard to know what's what's true. Like, what is the conspiracy, you know? I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about something else. All right, let's review another water. Um, so this is Kroger brand, but it's also a different brand. It's also called Fizz & Co. Seltzers. And check this out. This is the flavor. Seltzer water with a hint of the doctor flavor. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound great? Kroger. Smells like there's some Dr. Pepper in the other room. Tastes like you press the Dr. Pepper button in a fountain soda and and it's out of syrup. And you're getting a little bit of flavor because the, the tubes aren't totally clean. But there's no soda. 
it's drinkable in the sense that what you're having is dirty sparkling water yeah so that's a three out of ten let's try something different here Hello? What's up? Were you sleeping? No, I'm watching Tyler 1 play League of Legends. Oh, you absolute nerd. Oh, yeah. Max, check this out. I'm so upset. Okay. Yeah, I, what, what are you upset about? Check this out. In the last 24 hours, I called all 13 people that have been on the podcast. Yeah. For this epic four-hour episode I was making. Mm -hmm. And then I'm editing it, and it's, like, so big that it, like, starts uh, crashing. And then yeah. when I open it up, it's like the recovery files have doubled everything, and then it crashes again, and the recovery files quadruple everything, and then it fills up my hard drive, and then everything gets corrupted, and I fucking lost all the phone calls. <laughs> it's fucking gone, oh, no. dude. So... Whatever we talked about yesterday on the on the microphone, uh -huh. that shit's gone, dude. Dang, man, that's sad. I'm sorry. Well, and then not just mine and yours, but everybody's. Yes, but I still have the first three hours of me just being alone talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Gonna, I don't think a lot of people are going to be listening to that episode. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. It's epic, but. So now, yesterday you told me, yesterday we had a quite extensive conversation about Game Stonk. It's really bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I'm even more excited about it today. Yeah, so yesterday, now, I don't have proof, but I believe you said that it was going to go to the moon today. Yeah, so uh, so, uh, so is this part of the thing? Are we, am I being recorded? Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, remember, you have to tell me every phone call. <laughs> <laughs> this is a two-way state. This isn't a one-way state. It's true. It's true. It's okay. true. Okay. So, Joe Kim, uh, I don't even know where to begin with. For uh, legal with reasons, game. I have to tell you that I'm recording this. Uh, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. You can record any phone call of ours, and you, you can share it with the rest of the world anytime. Yeah. I don't care. You know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have anything to lose in life. Um, yeah. Anyways, yeah, dude, today was the biggest day in GameStop stock history that they tried to destroy it. I mean, every manipulation trick in the book, you know, buying, reselling, short selling. I mean, yeah. they were trying to get those numbers down below 200 so that everybody would get scared and sell. Dude, the, it never broke the wall at 250. And then at the end of trading today, it rose back up to 325. I mean, that's pretty, like, that's yeah. very, very resilient. Yeah, I had a thought. I think this is sort of like the French Revolution in financial markets. Yeah, where the poor eat the rich. Dude, do you know who's, do you know who's leading the charge? Robespierre, a.k.a. deep fucking value. What? Deep fucking, deep is fucking a, value is Robespierre. Is that a person? Deep fucking value? Yeah, he started this whole thing. Oh, Okay. Yeah, he's the he's the redditor who started this whole thing. Who's now he's got like twenty mil in the bank from starting off with like five thousand dollars back when it was two dollars a share. <laughs> now he's got five. Now he's got five mil in the bank and he's holding, bitch. Oh fuck, he's holding. He's of course he's holding. Yeah, he's oh, like, dude, man. he's holding out. He's holding out till five k a stock because he knows it's gonna go to five k. Man, and he's hoping to marry AOC at the end of all of this. 
Yeah, they actually just came out with a picture of him. He's not a good-looking man. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. He just did an interview with the Wall Street Journal. Nobody knew what he looked like, but the Wall Street Journal found him somehow, and they, they he agreed to an interview, and, they, and he did it. Well, that's that's something. Yeah, we're gonna keep an eye. Uh, what's going What's going on over there? Do you want to come to Arizona tomorrow? No, nah, I can't. I can't. But no. what was the other thing we were gonna talk about? I'm sorry. What was that? Oh yeah, yeah. So yesterday you also told me that you got a job. Yeah, I'm not gonna keep it. So I went and I worked yesterday, and I went and worked today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a little too, it's a little too grungy for me, you know? It's got to, it's kind of a grungy vibe, you know? But, you know, you know, there there is a little bit of, in restaurants, there is a little bit of a connection between how much do they hover and hang over your shoulder and micromanage mm-hmm. your behavior and how grungy is it? And sometimes you kind of got to, Babar was a little bit of an exception where they tried to keep it a little bit on the clean end. And for a big yeah. part of it, they kind of were a little bit hands off, and that was kind of rare. But yes, because you want yep. you want someone to be pretty hands off. Me personally, yes. You want to work in a place where your manager isn't following you around and and just needlessly commenting on your behavior. Yes, uh, yeah. Individual liberty is very important to me. Live for your die, my friend. Yeah, deep value. Yeah. Yeah, deep, deep fucking value. Yeah, uh, yeah, deep, yeah. So you know, I, I, the place is really small. So and there, and there seems to be a lot of staff. So so the <laughs> so it's small. There's a lot of staff. You know, everyone's kind of bumping shoulders and breathing down each other's necks. You know, and then there's two bosses there. You know, who are just like you know. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. it's just kind of dingy it's kind of dingy you know and it's just like eh, I, don't know. I, I don't know i don't, I don't you, like it i don't like it i'm not going back okay and you mean there are two bosses that are kind of me mowing and and well, just, just like, you know and i'm just like i'm just like shut up just shut up, dude. You know, like I don't want to, like, like I don't, like, you know, I don't. But then again, I'm new, so I understand that they're like trying to, you know, instill their ways and you know, all that kind of stuff. I get that. You know what I mean? I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, bro, you know, you hired me, you hired me for a job, you know, and I, you know, and now that I worked two shifts and learning the food and the and the layout and stuff like that, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. Yeah. So. Yeah, but uh, but no, I, I was happy that I got out and I at least tried. You know, I wasn't yeah. a, I wasn't a bitch. You know, I wasn't a bitch and I was going to sit on unemployment. You know, I I tried. I went. Yeah. I tried, and no, I just didn't like it. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. What about you? What about you, Joachim? How's your uh, How's your uh, your work life? Well, you know, you know what I'm working on. February second, I'm gonna do the skills test to get a driver's license. Oh, nice! And here in Washington State. Yes. In the Washington, the Washington State drivers, uh, the the dudes are they're pretty strict here. Yeah. So you know, just that's uh, what I'm hoping. Just, yeah, you know, joking. You know, you have to get an 80 to pass on your driver's license, on your driver's license test. You know, your dri- your your driving test, the actual yeah. driving test. And I got an 80. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and then that was my second time. Before I got a 73 and I failed. Yeah. And then I and, and then my second test I got. Um, I got an 80, and I barely, barely passed. A squeaker. Parallel parking yeah. and backing up, dude. That shit's, that shit's whack. 
Yeah, you have to. Well, parallel parking, you have to back up, and then they also they also want you to back around a corner at a stop sign. So, yeah. so it's not it, it's not going to be a cornered uh, sidewalk that you have to navigate around. It's a big oval one that you have to navigate around, which is way harder. So, yeah, I mean, you have uh, you have a you definitely have quite the task ahead of you. It wasn't easy for me either, but then again, I was sixteen and you're like forty three. So, I mean. <laughs> You should you should be able to handle it. That's so funny. Yeah, it's hard, dude. It's hard out here. Well, it is hard out here, but you know what, Joe Kim? You're a strong guy, and you're very funny, and you're a good man. So, I mean, you don't that's really great. have a whole lot to worry about, you know? Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say to the sparkling community to make up for the fucking 12 recorded phone calls that I don't have for these yeah, people? Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I just want to say uh, thanks for all the feedback on all the episodes. It's good. I like that uh, some of you guys are fans of, uh, you know, what I got to say. And then some of yeah. you, you know, some of you can fuck off. Can't appease everybody, man. You know what I mean? And the thing yeah. is, the people that try to appease everybody, man, and they try to like, uh, you know, they're good mixers. You know, the, remember that term good mixer where you just kind of yeah. go from group to group and you like kind of chameleon your way in. That's fucking weird shit, man. You yeah. know, you got you got no identity. You got no balls. You know, mm-hmm. just say what you mean and be honest and be upfront about what you actually fucking think. You know, you know what I like? Mm. I like that Joe Biden's first ab- approval rating numbers are mm. really showing that America is ready to give him a shot. Like, yeah, he was pulling. I think he, I think he had a what, what, like a fifty-four, like a fifty-four, fifty-five, 56, or something like that. There's a fifty-four. It's all in like the yeah. upper fifties, and then mm-hmm. disapproval is like low thirties. It's a really yeah. good start. It's just showing that people are interested in listen because because his first speech was like, "Just hear me out." Is what he kept saying. Just hear me out. Right, right. And dude, there's so many. I really like the. I really like the. Um, for the People Act, I think it's called. Uh, it's like voter rights. It deals with like gerrymandering. It deals with all this good stuff, and and it's also dealing with election security. So I mean, I don't think Republican lawmakers will love it, but it's really um, Republican right leaning voters will love it. It's something for everyone. It's going to be really good. It's exactly what America needs: campaign finance reform, that kind of shit. Yeah, I like uh, I like Joe Biden. I think uh, you know I've always considered my my uh, how I feel about Joe Biden. I like Joe Biden. I mean, I like Hillary Clinton more, but I like Joe Biden. And the thing is, he he reminds me of like kind of a two bit action star. You know, he's got like that he's got like that big huge Tom Cruise smile. You know, and he, and he always wears those dark shade or aviators, like yeah. the dark uh, the dark lens aviators. You know, with the gold rims on them. Yeah, and he's always wearing some sort of like bomber jacket. And I'm just like, who are you? You yeah. know. Where, where did he come from? I've always considered him like a kind of a, you know, kind of a Clint Eastwood. He's like, he reminds me of like kind of a, a softer, more political Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Let's hear him out. Let's hear him out and give him, and, and uh, you know, give him, give him his time in the light, you know? Yeah. Maybe you can fix some shit. Yeah. Okay, Joe Kim. Yeah. Well, listen, you have yourself an absolutely lovely night tonight. Thanks for uh, giving me a call at, uh, at twelve forty nine, twelve forty nine at night. I do appreciate that. I wasn't doing anything, so yeah, um, yeah. I actually wasn't doing anything, so yeah. Um, I'll be in Arizona for the next nine days. If you want to call me and uh, and say hi, yeah, I'll check in. Yeah, I'll why don't you do in. that? Yeah. All right, bro. Have a good time there. Okay. Bye, bye. Bye. All right. Yeah. We lost them. 
We lost all 13 phone calls. I called Cooper, I called Show, I called everyone. It's too bad. It's too bad. But you know, you, uh, you win some and you lose some. All right, folks, that was our review of Pickle Rick Miracle Seltzer, a tie-in product from Rick and Morty, Calamansi Sparkling Water from Sanso, and Seltzer Water with a Hint of the Doctor Flavor from Fizz & Co. Seltzers by Kroger. This review did not include our review of Day Trip Go, CBD Sparkling Water, or the... Uh, original New York Seltzer's raspberry soda because that footage was lost forever. I want to thank you for being uh, being here for me and and having accompany me on this on this journey and and I want you to know that I appreciate I appreciate everyone out there and uh, the podcast is now closing down for a short time but uh, if you want to buy some merch, this the store will be open. Shop.spreadshirt.com slash sparkling water. And that brings us to our closing segment. Sparkling water, sparkling mind. First, I think we should have a moment of silence for the alcoholic who still suffers out there and in here. And then we close out with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yahoo. <clears throat>